29, driving home from the season two, part one podcast of Legion. I'm on a stretch of road. As I approach a red light, I stop and a line of cars line up behind me. And as the light turns green, I move forward, driving home. And no one follows me. Was the light green? Or was it red? I'll never know. Welcome to the Legion Cathode Raycast, Season 2, Part 2. I'm your host, Bernadette Gorman-White, and today I'm joined by... Robbie Anderson. This is a very special podcast that has been a long time in the making. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So today we're recording on June 11th. And tomorrow, June 12th, it'll have been a year since season two has completed. We really wanted to get together a lot sooner before this, but we really felt like this is a perfect time to drop this podcast and talk about episode six through 11 of season two. Thank you for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. So where we left off for the first part of season two was the horrifying episode where Farouk takes the body of Amy Holler and changes it into Lenny, Mm -hmm. gives Lenny a second body. And that episode was a total mindfuck. To me, that was, I don't want to say the height of season two, but very much so the catalyst for what shapes the rest of the season. Right? What you say? Yeah. I mean, I I think it's something that's, in a show that is so crazy and is so influenced by what makes one sane and insane, it's a moment that is just out of this world. There's nothing on TV you've ever seen quite like it of like it's body horror. It goes against like kind of like the fundamental ways you explain characters even like it's not really something I've ever seen in most narratives or TV ever, you know. And, uh, I, you know, it's hard to say what the height of the season could be, but it's I think it's the reason it's episode five. It's it's pretty much midway through the through the season. And it's and it's crazy. You know, it kind of breaks your brain to even kind of fathom it and continues to, to, to try and break your brain or even even when it tries to make you understand it. it it's a little insane. Oh, absolutely. So for the first half of season two, David has chosen to help Farouk because he's being told by a future Sid that he needs to help him. He doesn't quite know why, but he trusts it because he loves her. And he goes from wanting to help until he essentially Farouk murders his sister. And that's when his plan changes, even though Sid is still telling him to help Mm -hmm. and to hurry. And the killing of Amy is just like, nope. I'm going to set you on a different path now. Farouk must die. Yeah. And that becomes David's main motive. And I think that when, she, you know, there, there's a few moments in, and now that we're in like the second part of this season two discussion, there's a moment where there are certain characters in the show where I was like, I feel like they're not having their day in the season. Like, I feel like you're not getting enough of them. And uh, David's sister, I do feel like, in a weird way, this is the first time we really see her in the season. And she, she in a weird way, gets 
more scenes throughout this weird body horror of where she's like non-existent, like more so than I think she would have otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, because she comes back later, which we will talk about and probably like soon of like apparitions. She haunts Lenny the same way Lenny haunted David. And um, it's cool. Yeah. And Farouk continues now that he's known that he's broken David because mm-hmm. of Amy. He also uses Amy's body as a mask to taunt David further as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah, Amy gets a lot of play, finally, in the second half, because she's sorely missed. In my opinion, she's probably one of my favorite tertiary characters. Yeah, well, episode six gives you a lot of Amy. And uh, really, I think the whole, uh, I think the the function of that episode is less about the multiverse and more about her importance to David. Yes. Um, And I think they sell it beautifully, you know, they have... They have these characters. I mean, and, and you know, I, we said it before, but Dan Stevens is just episode six, season two. There, it flexes so many of his muscles in a way where I was just like, I was already sold on Dan Stevens as a great actor. This is some shit I did not expect. Oh, definitely. You know. So this episode is going to kind of change the rules of a cathode ray cast because it's been so long, because season three is about to drop. We're not going to shy away from spoilers. So if you are interested in watching the second half of season two of Legion, now's the time to maybe stop listening because here we go. If you haven't watched it, I recommend it. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Definitely think you should. Please do. Yeah. So yes, episode six, chapter 14. We get the theory that multiple universes exist with every decision that david makes or any person makes several things can happen and branches and branches and branches and branches Mm -hmm. and yeah it's phenomenal i've watched a lot of younger actors portray older actors and you kind of get that feel that it's like oh they're just playing an older version of themselves yeah but in this episode you see a couple older versions of david and it's not fake to me it seems very genuine it seems very real yeah no i agree i mean i think that there's a few shows where they there's almost like and this is going to sound kind of like in a reductive way but you know there's there's movies that come out at a certain time because they want to be oscar bait Mm -hmm. i think certain shows have their they want emmy episode um i think this is this show's Give me Emmy now episode. Give me Emmy now. Um, but I don't mean that in a reductive way. I think because it's such a uh, one-off from the season, it's it's something that is obviously better if you've been watching the show the whole time. But it's also something that I think you can kind of watch independent. Yeah, it very much is a bottle episode. Yeah. yeah, and um, you know, it's I think it's it's designed in a way. I think the reason it is it is where it is is to really sell you on the relationship of David and his sister Amy. And sell you on that dichotomy, but I think it's also from like a more meta perspective, or or maybe not meta the right word, but outside perspective, it's it's supposed to take kind of like the strongest, ambiguous uh, features of of Legion and kind of present it to you in this forty five minute chunk, fifty minute chunk, and um, and it kills. You know, it's it's reminiscent mm-hmm. of almost like I always I with episodes like this, I like to think about the uh, Simpsons episode. It's like twenty seven stories in Springfield. And uh, it's, it's very similar to something like that where, you know, they're they're flexing on just like the strengths and the, the different types of stories that they could have been telling in this world. And and the idea, the, the cool, what I really like about the episode is, is uh, 
is just kind of the idea of it's the pitch of like, what if there's a telekinetic character in this world? And they just kind of hit that beat, you know, five or six times and, and then they do it beautifully every time. And each character has an arc while also always being, you know, David. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was very cool, too, because it recontextualizes things that we've seen in the first season. So multiple times during especially that pilot episode. Yeah. You see David throughout the years as a child and you see the version of him shaking the pills when he's first diagnosed with schizophrenia. You see him in the back of a police car. You see multiple different forms of him. It kind of culminates in the the electric cord mm -hmm. hanging incident, which we get a little bit here, too. Yeah. And uh, I think it's interesting because it almost is saying these other Davids that they're showing us in episode six Mm -hmm. are what those children grew up as. It almost kind of takes it and is like, yeah, those childhood scenes that we saw in the first season – we didn't follow those Davids anymore. Yeah. Like, we followed this David that you've been following for a season and a half. But, yeah, maybe these other versions of David are those different children mm-hmm. that you see, which I thought was really interesting. It yeah. kind of makes you think, like, oh, I thought I was following that one David story. But maybe those two were multiple different Davids, which I found very neat. Yeah. I almost wonder or, like, kind of think about, like, what the pitch meeting of Legion in the first place was like, because like, you know, Legion, the show that we got is such a departure from like the comics, which I'm not going to admit that I know the most about, but from what I've read about analysis that compare the comics to the show and things like that, pretty distant from one another. What we're getting here, you know, things like Summerland, division three, all that stuff that is FX show created for this show you know is it i believe i believe believe i believe so yeah i mean like you know usually i what it's what it seems like to me is is david's very predicated on being charles xavier's son being this omega mutant being this character that can kind of bend time some of the motifs are here like um him being so powerful that he thinks he needs to be the hero but kind of causing more harm than good or maybe Mm -hmm. leading down a more villainous path um, but I almost wonder, like, this show almost being, like, uh, them taking the notes from, like, a pitch meeting of, like, all the different directions this show could have gone on. Because even, like, the the one segment where he's, like, the coffee guy who eventually you learn becomes, like, the very kind of seedy old man, um, you know, that, that could have been a whole show onto itself. You oh, know? yeah. And, it, and it's not unlike the, the kind of narrative trajectory that he's on already, you know. Right. Yeah, it definitely paints this perspective that David, up until this point, does seem altruistic and does seem to want to help. But yes, there are so many different facets. Like Farouk says the meaning of life in season one, even, is -hmm. power and being a god. And then you see all of these different Davids. And yeah, that one old billionaire David is just corrupt and greedy. And it's more about corporate greed than power, per se. It's more about money. Mm Mm-hmm. And how that kind of taints even the good versions of other people because you see Amy come to him in that scenario and say she wants another house. And David chastises her and says, no more houses. I mean, he easily could have gotten her another house too. Easily. Yeah. There was a scene right before where the woman who got him to the position that he's in just told him that like, oh, you're officially the richest man in the world. So Mm -hmm. you go to buy Amy in like three more houses. Right. But he's so stuck in his way, I suppose. Yeah, because that's the only version of Amy that we see who's also gross. 
and just seems yeah. like a terrible person. And it's because I'm sure the choices that David made influenced, influenced her. her as well. Yeah. Kind of like what we're getting the entire season of like what causes a virus – why do people act a certain way? Well, if they're around other people who act a certain way, yeah. the virus spreads. Who is the parasite? Right. Things like that. Right. Yeah. No, it's really incredible. I, I think the the character or the, the David that kind of got me the most was the, the one who worked in the uh, like milk packing room, mm-hmm. which I think is supposed to be the one that gets you the most. You know, he's the one you have the most sympathy for. Might have a lot of th- sympathy for homeless David as well, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's milk packing David, especially the culmination in the fucking you you realize he becomes paraplegic because of that incident because he got shot and like he's so simple minded and and just wants to to exist and not cause any problems. Mm-hmm. That's also, the one that got me. Yeah, it's so sad to see him on the couch and Amy say like, "Well, how about we eat pie and." Eat a pot pie and have a pill. It's like, I'm not six. Yeah. But then she's like, so you don't want <laughs> pie? He's like, I didn't say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you can kind of see in every scenario that David does rail against the medication, but some are more complacent than others. Yeah. And more docile. I mean, do you think this, you know, the season one presents this idea that, you know, I, and I don't want to paint a broad stroke, but it kind of paints the idea that, like, a lot of people who might be uh, having mental health issues or mental health problems, um, sometimes the medicine isn't the answer or sometimes, you know, things like uh, the stigma against people on the autism spectrum is that they're not as smart as other people. But in reality, they just think differently and sometimes they're way smarter than other people and things like that. And I think that's what kind of... Season one is very much pitching. Uh, at least that's some of the thematics that I I gathered from season one, and I almost feel like season two makes you maybe question those. Mm-hmm. What do you think about maybe kind of that idea? I think, uh, yeah, season one definitely feels like it's being a champion for those who struggle with issues that are di- quote unquote different yeah. from normal human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think season two. David in season one is told multiple times, you're schizophrenic, this is your problem. And then Melanie yeah, they, says, they this isn't your problem. They put him in, a, in a box, pretty much. Right. Yeah. And then Melanie says, people have told you you're sick your entire life and you're not. Mm-hmm. And then season two is much more about, well, maybe you're both. Yeah. And, but as long as you are on the right path and are aware of it and know what you do causes problems occasionally, as yeah. long as you're on top of things and are actively trying to not hurt others – it's okay to be sick as long as you're keeping it in check. I guess he doesn't accept his potential no. illness. Once it's told it's not something that's a part of who makes him him, he's so ready to throw it away. Yes. But I think also, like, you know, it, it, maybe maybe it's, like, too – maybe I shouldn't draw too many comparisons to, like, real world uh, things like that because – the show deals with mutations and things like that, and it's so it's so different. It's so set in its own world. Yeah, especially by season two, where the world gets a little bit bigger and a little bit more uh, has a few more layers added onto it. Mm-hmm. But that was just one of the things I really liked about season one um, was that it felt like it was kind of championing those things. And in season two, um, I don't think it's not championing those things, but it's just kind of you know makes those questions a little more dramatic. I suppose makes me think about them more for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I don't think the the show is trying to make a statement about you know 
take your medicine or not. <laughs> I don't think that's no. what he's trying to say. Yeah. No. It is a shame because in the very last episode of season one, David does confront Farouk and say, what am I without you? Yeah. And I feel like I don't speak ill of Legion very often, mm-hmm. but I feel like they kind of dropped that thought process from season two. I don't feel like David is considering so heavily what he is without Farouk. I think, as you said, he's so excited to finally be rid of it yeah. that he doesn't really think about it as often, except for the revenge aspect of I mean, he what talks Farouk about, stole from him. Right. I mean, he talks about a lot of like what silence means to him now, that he doesn't have like so many of the voices. But the thing is, like by, I think, the last three episodes of season two, he starts to have... Uh, himself talking to himself a little bit Mm -hmm. more so it's starting to kind of prove like because that's like a trope of schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and i think that's what the show is trying to say is like oh no he he might still be schizophrenic he's just not possessed anymore there's no more of this leech in him but i do think the show uh, might still be kind of questioning that idea of what is david without farouk especially because farouk's still in the show Oh, yes. You know, and I think that it's less of David questioning himself what is himself without Farouk, but it's more of, like, the other characters being, like, what is David without Farouk? He is the monster. Because mm-hmm. David without Farouk is unchecked. Mm-hmm. To some extent, like, this this superhuman mutant weapon is in check by Farouk, and that is later kind of hammered in yes. by by future Sid being like, we need Farouk to, we need something to be able to stop David at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that question is still there. It's different. Yeah, it definitely lingers, but I think David stops looking at it in the way that he should be in a positive manner. Right. Because it is interesting that he does talk about silence once Farouk is gone. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, Farouk not only was a parasite, he was also kind of a drug that suppressed David's true psychosis. He kind of did yeah. like suppress it while he was inside. Which is something then, I guess we learn later, right? Right, yeah. right. So once Farouk is out, the the true schizophrenia or whatever we come to find with these extra Davids that have been mm-hmm. talking to him during season two... Uh, Farouk kind of silenced them, but then they're growing stronger now that Farouk isn't there. So yeah. it's not only just David and his own powers, it's like the inner Davids that David struggles with, but doesn't know that he's struggling with. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think that that was a cool build that season two took on, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, by the end of season two, and not to jump ahead, but you kind of feel you feel for Farouk, mm-hmm. even in the moment where Farouk's talking to Future Set, and he's just like, for forever, they say that I am the villain and he is the hero. But now you're telling me <laughs> that I am the hero? It's just like, it's so good. That that actor is perfect. Oh, yeah. Farouk as a character is my highlight of the show. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> my, my sister, she kind of watched season one like in and out with me. And she was like, so oh, did man. She, did she get it? Well, <laughs> kind of. But she's going to watch it all on her own anyway. Yeah. Kirsten watched but. the first episode with me. And she was like, I think I like it. Don't know if I can keep going. And I was like, <laughs> I guess fine. But it was so funny because uh, the devil with the yellow eyes, mm-hmm. my sister was like, oh, so is that what he looks like when he's outside of David? And I'm like, oh, no, he's very suave and attractive and compelling. Something and we, only, we only learn later. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because originally we kind of thought that the true form was Lenny. Yeah. I didn't even know that Lenny was 
a real tangible person Person. until Mm -hmm. season two. I think that's one of the biggest twists that kind of Mm -hmm. it's not to go under everyone's radar, but but went over my radar twice in watching this season twice where I'm just like, because I was watching it again, you know, to to complete transparency, I rewatched all of Legion season two uh, a day ago. And I rewatched all of it except for a couple episodes. So Bar- also, so Bernadette and I are, are insane now. We're yeah. crazy people. <laughs> yeah, but that's like one of the things that like always like it surprised me twice where I was just like, I thought Lenny was invented, and mm-hmm. then the show. It's such a crazy twist to be like, oh no, she's real. She got fucking murdered, mm-hmm. but she still had more. Cla- I mean, I, I, I guess like in a way, like this version of Lenny isn't even. Or could not even be the, the real Lenny. Anyway, it's the idea of Lenny that he gave a body to, mm-hmm. right? Like, well, so I, I will say this really quickly that yeah. yeah, I thought I had such a good handle on season one the first time around mm-hmm. when I watched it, and I was so excited. I was like, I have all of these theories; they've got to be true. I've been watching it. I've been taking notes, and then when we recorded the first half of season two, that podcast, yeah, I was still kind of angry that they told me like no your theories are wrong here's lenny <laughs> i was just like gosh darn it i don't i don't believe it it this- really unravels the whole fucking first season like- but i will say now going back and rewatching everything i'm like oh that all makes so much more sense now like the mm. second time i rewatched it all i was like oh no i i get it now i'm yeah. tracking i i fully understand but uh yeah. do you think that the lenny that now has a tangible body uh from Amy uh, Alchemy. Do you think mm-hmm. that is like the real? Do you think that he took the real Lenny consciousness and pulled it into David? Or do you think that he used his memories to create an idea in a mask and then gave that? It's the idea of like, you know, if you put your brain in a computer, mm-hmm. is that you or is that just something else? Yeah. 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 So yeah. What, do, what do you make of that? Well, they, they do hammer home the fact that Lenny, the six years that David knew her, when she was in Clockworks, that was Lenny. And yeah. so David did know the real version of Lenny for six years. Right. And then when the accident happens in the first episode and then Lenny is killed, Farouk uses that facade to replant memories in his mind that Lenny existed pre-Clockworks for him. Yeah. Lenny exists post-Clockworks for him. And he used it to get to David because he knew that... David had a soft spot. For right, her. right. Yeah. And... She was a close friend. He remained very vulnerable because it was Lenny's face. Yeah. And then you do find out, oh, it's Farouk using that body. So then in the second season, yeah, you kind of are like thrown for a loop. You're like, oh, God, Farouk is like still kind of using that consciousness, which is really messed up. Yeah. But yeah, Lenny does tell the story of like, you know, when I was a kid, my grandma would like the, the vodka soda, yeah. And I became an addict very young. Mm-hmm. And the Lenny that you do see in season two in a physical form is a total addict. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd like to believe that that's almost as close as you could get to the original Lenny as possible, excluding the fact that she's in the body of another person who still kind of has consciousness. You know, it's kind of messed yeah. up because, like, Amy still does exist and it's kind of like fighting for her body back, they're but definitely, not in a they're, tangible they're way. They're sharing a little bit, but someone has kind of the the dominant force. Yeah, someone sure. has a steering wheel. Yeah, but you know, we all know that we all need a good steering wheel that doesn't fly <laughs> off when you're driving. <laughs> 
That's how you make a good car. That's that's a callback to I Think You Should Leave, another podcast that we did, and another show that you should watch. Yes. Make, might make a little bit more sense than Legion. I don't know. Uh, definitely go watch that as a palate cleanser for, for yeah. Legion after you've gone crazy. Do you think that you get Legion? At the end of season two, maybe not even have to dive into some of the fun specifics that we still have left. Do you do you think that you get the show? I I think I get it. I stupidly think that I get it. But <laughs> Naively I, so. <laughs> but I, I'm ready for season three to tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> Just I mean, like season two told me that I'm wrong. And usually when I'm proven wrong, I get angry. Fair. But Legion's so good that I'm like, you're right. I was wrong. <laughs> Please please tell me why I was wrong, Legion. You can do almost no wrong. Season three seems very... The trailer that I saw for season three, which I think is like the first official one, I try not to watch too much more than just that. Mm-hmm. It, se- I, it seems pretty grounded in what they're trying to do, as grounded as Legion can be. But I kind of understand like what the verbiage of the word Legion means in the show going forward. Yes. Um... I Which am maybe Legion. we should, we should, yeah, I am Legion. Do you, can we talk about the trailer now or do you want to save that maybe for later? If it, I mean, it came up naturally. Go for uh, it. I mean, it's just the idea that, like, you know, it seems that he's he's starting a cult. I think people are starting to follow him. Sure. I don't know if he's recruiting, but he, he very well could be. So whether he's actively taking people in mm-hmm. or not, he's starting to create a Legion. Yes, a following, definitely. Um, we learn that he will eventually... We learn that the prophecy before whatever timeline we're in now, he becomes a world killer. Mm-hmm. That's what the idea of Legion is. What I imagine is that he just kind of starts to amass consciousnesses. You know, maybe yeah. Maybe he does some kind of like drink the Kool-Aid moment where he makes everyone kind of become a singular mm-hmm. consciousness where he's like, I'm so insane, I want to share my mind space with everybody. Follow me into the future. Similar to how the monk kind of infected people where he went. Yes, David will infect people, but, you know, probably more, less chatter. Less chatter Less chatter boxy. Yeah. yeah. That's what I kind of foresee the future episode being. And then I, I'm totally thrown for a loop from seeing Charles Xavier just in season Three. <laughs> and they just gave it that nugget that I've been I've been like, I think this is the thing. This is the thing in the comics. I think this is the thing. And no one's disagreed with me on the show. Mm-hmm. But they just gave it to you in the trailer. I think that's crazy. I think that's crazy that they're just like, oh yeah, that's that's daddy. Yeah, I'm I'm slightly nervous only for the fact that there have been so many crazy things that happened during season one and season two. Yeah. That you kind of are left wondering, well, why hasn't Professor X shown up to, like, assist or help or or guide? And the fact that they're throwing him into season three, I just hope it doesn't feel like a, oh, well, he could have done this. So I'm hoping that that doesn't happen, which I I trust Legion. I have no reason to believe that it is going to make me feel like Deus Ex Machina situations. For me... What's happening, the action that's happening in Legion, the, the the forces of good and evil seem very, like, secret war. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the war of the minds and the bodies and, and what's happening between the, the forces, Divisions 3, David and Farouk and Oliver, seems very secret, secret from the public eye. Yes. Right? So I think that, you know, it's very easily explainable mm-hmm. that Professor X has no idea what's going on. The or only, just isn't around or, or just hiding, isn't around or, or hiding. The only real kind of hole I'd punch in that is that 
The trailer shows him with Cerebro. Mm-hmm. And what does Cerebro do? Finds people. Everything. Everything, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, Cerebro is the deus ex machina. Ex- yeah. So, like, I don't know. Uh, we'll see when we get there. Yeah. I think Legion is such an interesting show because the first season especially, you just feel like it's out of time and place. You don't really kind of understand what time know period year, yeah. it's set in. And then season two is so futuristic that you have to wonder why. Is it, is it though? Is it futuristic, oh. you think? I, I get the vibe that it is so, only because of the way they portray. It's very easy in Summerland mm-hmm. because it's a, so idyllic and it's out in the woods and David yeah. grew up in the country. But then season two so heavily takes place in a city that you see the architecture. You see different scenes, especially in episode six where you see all the different future Davids. Sure. And yeah. things seem a certain way that aren't the way we perceive things in our current like actual mm-hmm. world that we live in the real world i think so that, it's interesting to me i think that technology at division three is ahead of yes our time but i don't think that the show is necessarily futuristic because i think that like when you look at i i love so like you know Car- carrie is one of the best characters i mean oh, all the characters yeah. are really good right but carrie uh carrie with the, the carrie with a c you know when he makeshifts all of this like mind tech to like you know it's a it's a glowing fork that reads fields of energy or something like that. Mm-hmm. It looks kind of jankily put together. So to me, that's what kind of pitches the show as like it's not necessarily like futuristic. It's that mm-hmm. we're in a secret technical hub that Possibly. is hidden deep. Like I think the show could still be taking place in the seventies. Interesting. But that they just have all this tech mm-hmm. because Division Three is you know I mean, they. They got they're more advanced. They're more advanced. They have R&D up the wazoo to track whatever weird acid trip mind fuck that the show is, you know? Yeah. So that's, that was kind of my read. And the fashion, too. The fashion is very Fashion's classic. very, you know, it feels very 70s, yeah. which, like, could just be a choice. Not yeah. necessarily, like, a which I'm down with, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was very much the style that women would wear, like, belts over their tops. Or, like, Doc <laughs> Martens with rolled up pants. I mean, that could also mm-hmm. be a now style, I guess. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, uh, if anything, David's clothing, like the weird screen print tees he wears, are very out of time and place. He's yeah. He is set in, like, the most futuristic style of clothing yeah. than all of them. I mean, Patonomy, right. I think, has the, has the best oh, uh, so wardrobe. Or maybe Oliver has the best wardrobe, mm-hmm. though. I don't know. It's hard to say. But he lived in an ice cube for 21 years, so I mean. <laughs> that just shows how stylish he was back then, that he's still so stylish now. Right, right. I would say. I would argue. <laughs> yes. Um, so what, what's the episode after, I feel like, is there anything well, more you want to say about episode six? There was only just that one really fun nod to A Clockwork Orange. So Clockwork is, Orange, do you think that there's, do you oh, think it was just an homage or do you think Super intentional. I think yeah. the fact that he's at Clockwork Hospital, yeah, Clockworks. Yeah, yeah. And then that's the episode where you see Amy drop him off at Clockworks. A really good, so maybe even good. a little bit on the nose, but perfect. Like, yeah, because when it and then, comes up, you're just yeah. like, oh, this is a Clockwork Orange. But this is weird. This is Clockwork Orange. And it's cool because, like, I mean, Clockwork Orange, like, if you want to talk about, like, near future, like, future mm-hmm. motifs and technology, Legion is very much aesthetically very similar, I think, to Clockwork oh, yeah. Orange, especially when you get to some of the more insane symmetrical scenes uh, uh, production design wise, and then also just like you know, 
I feel like the idea of like having someone watch a bunch of TV with their eyelids open wide like that, it gets something that could very easily be in Legion. Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, both things focus so heavily. I mean, their their theme is grooming someone. Yeah. To be a certain way. Right. That's what both of them are. It's so. Sure. No, that's a very good read. Yeah. It's so amazing that little nod. That at first kind of takes you out just for a moment, and mm-hmm. then you're like, nope, back in. Well, it's cool, because in that scene, you know, instead of giving the assailants the power, they give David the, the power. They give the homeless character who would be in that scene the power. It's it's a it's a shift that mm-hmm. is very interesting. It's a very cool homage. I'm glad – I actually kind of forgot about that. I'm glad you brought that up. It's very oh, cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, especially when he – fucking murdered. Yeah. <laughs> especially when he does uh, – dusts them essentially and then there's shadows he snaps them out (laughs) and then the dust that settles are still in the shadow like their shadows and outlines are just like humans them right there it's so cool but it's just their dust it's incredible i would love to see you know now that the disney fox merger is complete Mm -hmm. i would love to see legion come as like you know they go real they go real hard in marvel phase three or four as like we're going full psychedelic, cosmic. Like we're done with the real world. It's all Doctor Strange, baby. We're doing weird shit. And then you know, David is like the the big. He's the Thanos of the of the coming. Give that to you me right that, now. You into that, right? I'm absolutely that into that. Sounds, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, I think. Listen, you want to have Marvel talk for a second? You want to have Marvel talk for a second? Sure. Big bads going forward is either going to be Galactus, Doctor uh-huh. Doom. I'm throwing David, throwing David into the ring. I think that would be incredible. That'd be sick. I'm there for that. I'm not sure if it's too late for that to kind of go down, but, like, I'm well, with it. Noah Hawley, uh, he did, you know, three seasons of Fargo yeah. and said, well, I'm not going to do any more Fargo because I don't have any more ideas for it. And that kind of is what's and happening then, with Legion, And then right? he did Legion, and now Legion is ending, and then it's been announced that there's Fargo season four in the works. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, maybe Noah is likes he, to take is breaks. Is he doing season four, though? Yes. Oh, okay, so he's coming back for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that... You know, Legion's ending, you know, it's ending around the time that, like, a lot of Marvel properties that are not a part of this merger are ending. You know, Dark Phoenix just happened. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I just watched that today. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you want me to talk? I don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think I, – I'm not saying that Le- – I think Legion could very much be, like, he, he's just like, I. this is the, the finite conclusion that I saw in mind when I started the show. Mm-hmm. This is what I want. I could definitely see it being a part of, like, you know, a bigger, like – this merger thing's happening. I'm not sure what's happening with the property. Let's just do it now. If it comes back, it comes back. Or if they want to do something with the character, which it's a very interesting character. I can imagine that there's a lot you can do with someone who literally breaks reality in half. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm kind of down for that so long as Noah is doing it because, like, I'm so <clears throat> excited for Yeah, I can't imagine another – I, I can't imagine another interpretation of that character. Like No, and no one should do it. It's just, yeah. like, so good. Yeah. I'm a big believer in finishing while you're ahead, and I really hate a lot of the reboots that have been coming out lately and remakes. And yeah. it's just leave something I'm, good when it's good. I'm glad season three is going to have a finite yes. conclusion. I think that I'm always a fan of shows being like, we want to do it now before it gets stale. We're not interested in and bleeding something dry, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I'm in on that. Yeah, definitely. So you were asking uh, which episode comes next, <clears throat> Chapter 15. Uh, there's a lot of different things going on, obviously, but uh, the main things is 
they do part eight and they talk about moral panic. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about essentially like witch hunts. Right. And how who's more frightening? The fright the the the, the frightened or the or the thing that they fear. They fear. Yeah. yeah your fear <laughs> or the feared. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And then it's also the episode where future Sid gets a visit from Farouk. And that's when she tells him. And we were kind of talking about this a little bit that's earlier. Just a, that's such a huge turning point in the show, too. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did we know at that point that David is is the thing that she's afraid of? Because she mentions before, she's like, you look so sweet now. There's a time when you're not so sweet. So I feel like I just kind of put it together a little bit earlier that he might be the cause of things. Is this the first time we hear about him being kind of like the, the actual ender of worlds? The apocalypse of a, of a sense, you know? I think uh, it's heavily alluded to, if not outright said. Yeah. Yeah. But then I think this is the first time Farouk hears it, though. Yes. Yeah. And where he's given the satisfaction because Farouk has a whole uh, conversation. I believe it's with Oliver. And he says, you know, I, I led my people. I was a king. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, strong and powerful, but I was just. And everything was fine until Professor X came and told me that it, what I was doing was wrong. Yeah. And so I feel like that was the first nugget where you're like, well, yeah, Farouk is all powerful and probably needed to be kept in check a little bit. But it we aren't really told the terrible things that Farouk had done in his past yeah. before Professor X takes him out. We're hearing one side of a story for sure. Right. Yeah. And so to hear him say, you know, I didn't feel like I was the villain. Mm-hmm. And then people told me I was the villain and took me out. And David even says, you were you were a parasite in me. And he yeah. was like, well, of course. Like, if I'm going to choose between death or life, I'm going to choose life. Yeah. Like, I did what I had to do to survive. Mm-hmm. Which also kind of makes sense. I mean, he did terrible things, definitely. Yeah. But you're starting to see it from both perspectives. But if he has a means to live, like, yeah, how can you argue against mm-hmm. someone for doing something like that? So Farouk finally getting the justification of like, oh, yeah, for, as you said earlier, like, mm-hmm. for years people have told me that I'm the villain, I'm the bad yeah. guy. And then to finally get that reward of being told. I mean, oh. I think I think seeing how subdued he is during David's trial is just indicative enough of him being like, the, the show really tries to say you're just like, hey, like Farouk's not a good guy, but he's not the big bad. The big bad has been here the whole fucking time, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that's, I don't want to jump too far ahead because I think right. I think describing the, the Sid, David. Problem. Know, yeah. yeah. So, I definitely want to hear your perspective on, like, what that relationship looked like throughout the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, seeing – having Farouk have the realization of him being, like, I'm the only – you guys need me around because I'm the only guy that can fucking stop this dude, you know? That's pretty cool. In oh, theory, very. Professor X should also be the also the other person that could stop David, right? Yeah, you would if think he stopped, so. If he stopped Farouk – Right? You would think. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess we'll I guess, find out. I guess this is the worry that you mentioned earlier. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, it's very cool dealing with a show that doesn't have just one unreliable yeah. narrator. They're mm-hmm. all unreliable narrators. And yeah. you find that out slowly but surely. I mean, granted, 
Potomy and the Carries, they seem pretty like on the short and narrow for the most part. Yeah, well, but Melanie is kind of like the voice of reason in season one, and, and then season fucking, two, she's like yeah. on a different level. She's, she's another character where I was just like, man, she's really not getting any play in this season. And then she has a whole episode kind of about her, about her basically. I was just like, ah, yeah, I see now. I mean, Potomy, like he is reliable in the sense that the show tells you that he cannot forget anything, right? And then he gets taken out, basically. It put, mm-hmm. gets put into the, the data sphere. But also, like, you realize that his only true desire in the world is to forget. So how reliable is that person even <laughs> in the first place, you know? Right. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's cool. good. It's good stuff. He's a character I also grew to like more in this season as well. Agreed. Because the first season, he just seems very angry he's a, he's that he's a, not in the spotlight. He's almost. also, he's like, a, he's like a tool. I don't mean mm-hmm. that in, like, the douchebag way. I mean that in a way that he's just, like, he's a plot device of a means to be, like, well, He's need, a garden tool. Yeah. Well, yeah. we need we need someone to be able to break into this mind and 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 present to the audience what this brain looks like and and basically be the rewind button and the fast forward button. <laughs> and that's kind of what he does. And he does yeah. that a little bit in this season as well. But he he has more layers added to it. And that he becomes kind of the um, the first one with the pitchfork mm-hmm. in this episode as well because he's had the. Um, is it the delusion that they refer to it the as? The delusion bug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like the first one to kind of get the the, the bug in his ear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they definitely talk about the insanity delusion bug in this episode. But also, Farouk visits Sid, future Sid. Mm-hmm. But then also, David visits future Sid again in this episode. And, and they it's make after. The, they make smooch. Yes. They say goodbye because David basically says, Farouk killed my sister. I've been listening to you the whole time, and look what happened. happened. I'm done with you. Like I'm not going to trust yeah. you anymore. I'm not going to come here anymore at all. What and do you then, think yes. she reads that moment as? Well, that David is not her timeline, David. Yeah. So to me, it seemed kind of like a last-ditch effort for her to try to save humanity, which is very cool and exciting. And I want to know how she loses that arm, but we'll Where'd never know. Where'd that fucking arm go? I thought for sure when Sid gets the hook through her hand, I'm like, that's it. But then you realize it's the wrong hand. I was like, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yet again, Legion. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's very uh, bittersweet that she's finally lost David. Because I think she, she had a handle of what the path she was molding by having David help Farouk find his body. I think she kind of saw the bullet points maybe in that future, in that timeline of like, well, if I get David to help find the body, then this, this, and this won't happen. But she might not have seen the smaller intricacies. And the Amy thing, I I would like to believe that she would have seen that. It's Sid intervening. It's Sid learning about like the seed of like, you know, when when she's having girl talk with – What's his name with the cane? Yeah, Clark. Clark, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you know, he's just like, hey, girl, if you break up with this dude, he- there are consequences to that action. And, like, that's kind of, like, maybe the the unexpected seed that Future Sid wasn't expecting. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know who, know, who knows how much of the timeline that we're watching is a carbon copy of the timeline that she lived, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I'd like to think that there were probably a lot more of these different nuances that existed in her specific timeline. I think so. That probably clouded her vision a little bit. I don't to the think the timeline she was trying to save. I don't think but. that there was a gun showdown 
in future Sid's timeline. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think that. I I think that, you know, she described that moment as you bashed his brains in with a rock, Mm -hmm. which to me means that she was more of a passive watcher or arrived too late. Sure. You know, that's how that's how I would read that, you know. And I think that, you know, if Noah Hawley is known for anything, it's is making, you know, nothing really make like quite sense or easily to track as being like, no, this is what happened. Like he's not trying to be like this is a concrete version of something that happened, you know. Right. That's not really his pitch. No. No. And it's so interesting cuz we'll talk about this definitely within the second to last episode for sure. Mhm. But the season does such a good job of making you wonder, do things unfold because of their inevitability, because it's called fate, or future Sid interfering at all is what set all of this into motion? Yeah. Like, would, would this have happened if she wouldn't have interfered? It's hard to say. I mean, I don't know if we're down this path of Legion the Destroyer of Worlds necessarily. The the season right. two does not wrap up saying that that's what's happening. Right. So she might have gotten what it. she might have, yeah, stopped it from happening. Which is also, yeah. yeah, like her essentially not existing anymore. Yeah. There's a really, Possibly. there's a really great shot uh, at the beginning of, I think, the penultimate episode, the second to last episode, where mm-hmm. it's David with the crystal orb with future Sid in it and his hair spiked up. And that is like almost verbatim what his character design is in the comic books. Have you seen what he looks like in the comic mm-hmm. books? Insane. Um, but he has like the spiked up, like vertical hairstyle just looks kind of like insane. And then there's the pregnant, she's pregnant, right? In that mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Pregnant like Lenny. Yes. At his feet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's. So who knows what to make of that? Because that's not anything that we see. Again, Mm-mm. they just give us that a little bit. Yeah, and, and they might. And yeah, I mean, Lenny, the fact that Lenny would be pregnant is very strange since she typically is with women. But she really has a soft spot for David. She does. And also, is that incest? I feel like it probably is. I'm not a judge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would argue incest, but he's also not biologically related to Amy. Oh, Amy true. is his adopted sister. True, so it's even weirder. Yes. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Cool, on it. Gotcha. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, we do see, obviously, at the end of that episode, the insanity bug has been making Sid, Patonomy, and mm-hmm. Clark believe that Fukuyama is this weird bug creature. Yeah. And he's not. And David come and he snatches the insanity bug out. Do, does something that seems like a very good guy move. Yeah, He's like, what are you guys fucking doing here? And he also just like, fucking bends reality to whatever he needs. Which is like, also like, you know, in that moment, he's like, is he doing a very good thing? But it's also like, oh, this guy is a fucking god. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I will say some of the most visually arresting stuff in this season is that scene where he just like wipes and it's all red background. Yeah. It's him. And that giant insanity bug. And he was like, hey, listen, dude, like you picked the wrong time to come here. Trying to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you leave. Oh, okay. You're not going to leave. Cool. And then the insanity bug drives itself to insanity and kills itself, murks itself in that yeah. tiny little jar. <laughs> he defeats the monster by going into its brain and making it feel small. Like that's, I mean, that's like, you know, David knows how to do those things because mm-hmm. Farouk taught him yeah 
And, I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, David is much more the son of Farouk than he is the son of Charles Xavier. Oh, such a good point. That, that show, that, I mean, but the show, you know, presents it to us. Like, Farouk even says, he's like, you're my little boy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think that's why he's down this dark path is because he's he's much more the prince of the Shadow Kingdom than he is the opposition to the Shadow King. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, we'll talk about this episode eight, and then we'll give it a good break and come back for the last three episodes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, We've touched on stuff, too. So. Yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah, for yeah. sure. But, yeah, uh, episode eight, chapter 16, you get, which I thought was very cool, mm. you get Admiral Fukuyama's past when he was a 17-year-old student. Very into that. And yeah. getting recruited by Division Three. You'll do so. anything for your country. Yes. Yeah. Very patriotic, mm-hmm. but also taking someone who's a foreigner and yeah. using them to fight for what we think is pretty much America. Yeah. Very loaded there with the problems there's there. Going, there's a lot going on, turning him into raw data in a sense, or like the conduit of data. Because like, you know, mm-hmm. essentially like Division Three is like, a lot of it is the supercomputer that is him, you know, he mm-hmm. he is uh well, I mean, in a way, it's kind of foreshadowing what Legion could be. I mean, like, he is a Legion onto himself in Division 3. He is yeah. a conduit of consciousness. He has, you know, much much like an ant colony operates, he is like that, where he has these physical beings that do his bidding. But they don't do his bidding. They are him. They are extensions of his consciousness. Mm-hmm. And played by the same woman who plays David's sister. I don't think so. Well, I, think I thought some of them. Actresses. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna double check. Okay. <laughs> I think you 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 could be right. I'm not gonna say that you're wrong. <laughs> but I thought I read that there some of them were played by the same person. I don't know. Well, yes, do your research. But yeah, I thought it was. Uh, well, maybe I don't know. it just shows. Are they called Vermilions? Vermilion. Never mind. I was wrong. <laughs> but they do look kind of similar. A lot of the women in the this bangs. show <laughs> do have the same body build, which is kind of confusing. Okay. So I can see, I can see why you would think that. But uh, it'd be interesting because, cool, like, it would be interesting though if they did do that. Because remember, she has the line right before she gets turned into uh, Lenny, where she's just like, "I was singing the song." Yes. Where I, I was like, "I am the machine that bleeds," and she basically that's. I think maybe that's why I thought that they were the same, or they did a double casting or something because she yeah. she literally says like that she. Had this dream. This dream that she, she's, she's one of vermilion. the machines, yeah. So. Yeah, maybe that's a, a future thing that will happen, that if David can, or that if oh. Division Three can somehow rescue her original body, I don't know. But her original body's still moving around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure how you... Tear maybe, that apart. I guess maybe you could put the correct consciousness in a robot body. Mm-hmm. I mean, the show has presented that you can do anything, so it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe it was just like foreshadowing that her body was about to be used for something else. Ah, that's that's a, that's a very good read. Yeah, yeah. I'm not no, sure. No, I like that. But I yeah, mean, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrifying. It is bad news, but... <laughs> um, but I thought that Fukuyama, seeing a young boy and... I forget the name of the dude who ran District 3, but w- whatever his name is, uh, told him, like, you are the boy who's never been sick. Yeah. And then... Proceeds to make him sick instantly mm-hmm. by doing this to him. And it just shows how terrible humanity is because they're yeah. so frightened. Like I mean, humanity they, does terrible things when they're scared. Are they, are they implying that he is a mutant? 
And yes. that, that's why that they can do this procedure to him, essentially? I think so. Yeah, no, I, I think I, he yeah. was a mutant, and then they use him. Kind of the same way that Wolverine has, like, a super healing property. They used his yes. whatever to be able to do that to him. Right, yeah. right. No, I buy, I, that's a good read. I buy that 100%. Yeah. Very sad. Mm-hmm. And then this is also the episode where kind of like it's setting you up for the last three where they say, because Patonami is inside Fukuyama. Yeah. And he says. Well, he's dying, right? Well, he's dying and they, they put him in the mainframe. And Didn't so, expect him to almost be dying. No. Well, just because like when the monster ejects from him, it's just kind of like, okay, wait, is this real or? But then they're like, he is dying. Plug him into the mainframe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because everyone else, the the delusion was so small that it could just be like essentially just like vacuumed out of yeah, the brain. Yeah, the, the insect did not grow in there where it, it seemed to have been in Patonami, you know, almost the whole season at this point. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so Patonami uses the vermilion to talk to David and says, I am in the mainframe. Mm-hmm. The monk is also in the mainframe. I know where Farouk's body is. Right. And he says... In Les Desolés. And so now now David knows and can start plotting on how to do this. And it's so cool. The final arc. Yeah, to see him, like, thinking, like, all right, I'm going to plan my war. And it's so fun to see him with those, like, little flags. The I mean, like, that that scene is great. But I think, like, the the best thing of it is just, like, if I verbalize what the plan is, Farouk will be able to find out. How do I – what's the workaround? And he just kind of gives like telepathic images and maybe also figures out teleportation. I'm not really sure how that one works. Well, he, I guess he already did figure out teleportation. Mm-hmm. But he makes the car flash forward in mm-hmm. – not sure how that works, but that's – I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, yeah, it's cool. He's like, well, I can't execute all of this plan at once using the same consciousness. So let me use it like a jigsaw puzzle. And make different and all, people And I'm confident that you will all kind of put it together and, you know. Do the thing you're supposed to do so that the next person can do the next part. A relay part. race or jigsaw, yeah, jigsaw puzzle situation. Yeah. yeah. I like the relay race yeah. better than the jigsaw puzzle. I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's – he has confidence enough that all the pieces fall in – in the right order, and and they do, even though there's some holdups that happen. Maybe even costs like a day or two, especially on Lenny's behalf. <laughs> yeah. She's but like, maybe, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> but maybe he's just like, I know she's gonna get fucked up and and like bang a chick. So I don't know. <laughs> I'll like, just I'm, give her time. I'm adding that. that time in there. I understand that's gonna happen. Who knows? It's like how Google Maps will tell you how long it's gonna get yeah. to a place, even though there's traffic and accounts for the traffic. Yeah, it's just like yeah, but if you like, you know, are like really lazy or you're bad with time or you don't own a watch, we're gonna put that in there too. Yeah, I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that scene is cool, and I really like that that workarounds. Um, yes. I think that was really fun. Yeah. You know, it's crazy just like, you know, the the craftsmanship of the show and how they just make the insane just make sense, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, eventually like we've gotten through through talking about the first half of season 2, talking about season 1 and we're at this point in the discussion like the the vernacular of our conversation right now is just like, yeah, Future Sid with one arm was talking to David who put the, the relay race of planning into the thing to find Farouk's body. It's gibberish. <laughs> but it totally makes sense. But it totally, it totally makes, makes sense. sense. It's all strung together in a way that is like, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a, a show about like mobsters where it's just like big Tony Styles was really mad at little Tony and now they have a beef. This is the whole show now. 
He killed the wrong guy. He killed the Again. wrong guy. Again. I hate little Tony. <laughs> Where, what are we going to do? Kill him, I guess. Revenge is the show now. Yes. Like, this, this, this is so insane, but it's still... Bakes in kind of like you know with normal drama or or like what we understand as drama in TV to to be it's it's really it's amazing. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then uh, two other little bits from this episode before we move forward. Uh, I love the allegory of the cave, which they illustrate with cell phones. Yes. And I think that's super. I apt. never th- I never thought about cell phones being the cave before. Right. Because Plato's cave has been. The Matrix is kind of the biggest, like, uh, um, expo- or, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking of the right word, but kind of like bringing that, like, uh, mm-hmm. philosophical parable into mainstream media. The Matrix mm-hmm. is kind of like a vessel for that. It's like the one of the yeah. bigger examples that we've seen. I actually really like that the show, uh, I was thinking about it as I was watching it the other day, where the show, like, started off by explaining these more aloof, like, hard concepts. So when we got to Plato's The Cave, which I think is a little bit more universally understood by people. Yes. They were able to not only present it like really quick and efficiently because mm-hmm. like they've already – the harder concepts have already been explained. Mm-hmm. And keep getting like echoed and echoed yes. and echoed. So when they get to Plato's Cave, it's like it's like you guys kind of already get what this is. We're going to play on it a little bit, but like it's – they save – because like, you know, I think like a lot of times like you can you can get over overtly pretentious or appear overly pretentious when you're – Talking about philosophy or things like that. But they earn Plato's Cave. Yes. This show earns Plato's Cave, which I think is a very well-known philosophical parable at this point. They earn it very well. And they execute it very well. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost makes you feel stupid at that point, too, if Mm -hmm. only for the fact that you're like, of course they're going to talk about shadows. Why haven't I been thinking about the cave this entire time? Right. It's a story about the Shadow King. Mm-hmm. And to find out that they're using it and contextualizing it in a modern world, using the cell phones as a vehicle to to illustrate just how terrible humanity is. Mm-hmm. But getting to that point, they're like, yeah, we're going to talk about this very, as you said, easily digestible philosophical concept. Yeah. And then they're slowly planting the seeds of, like, you've been following David this entire time. Who is the shadow at this point? Yeah. Because we've been giving you this, but is it really this? Yeah. Are you ready to maybe be told that you're wrong as a viewer? I was not prepared, you know, as, as we prepare for our break, I was not prepared for the twist. I've heard... Through just like little things getting spoiled for me, what the twist like was in a in a broad stroke, mm-hmm. I was not prepared for the show to go to some of the places that it went to. Right. Yeah. And then Oliver does this poem about America mm-hmm. and what America takes from you, and I think that's really cool too. I yeah. should have just written down the poem because it's yeah, it's fine. But yeah, that episode's like very loaded. I feel like shout out to Oliver as a character also. Yes, who is very much a vessel. Mm-hmm. But like you know, is is very interesting, and we're about to touch on some really big moments with him as well. Yes, but yeah, I think uh, the first half of season two to me feels like a home run, like knocking yeah. it out of the park. And then I cl- I cried so much more the second time around watching mm-hmm. season two, and you have that powerhouse of episodes, uh, the one with uh, Sid's history and. Mm-hmm. 
David continually so fucking good. going back. And then yeah. you have the Amy episode. And then you have the multiple universe David episode. Yeah. And that to me feels like kind of like the heart of the season are those three, which are in a row. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, we're not slowing down. And then they give you episode seven and episode He's eight. Up. Yeah. And then like uh, the next two, which we'll get into in just a moment, I'm are a little s- yeah. bit more lackadaisical. And then it's like, bam, at the end. I think, you know, one of the things that kind of like hurts my heart going forward with the show is just like, I was so sold on David and Sid's love. And just seeing what happens going forward, just like it, it tore me apart. I was just like, I don't even want to fucking want. I don't even want to see this happen. Like I was so in on this. Yeah. And that's why this show is really good because <laughs> yeah. they will do that to you, and they don't care about your feelings. No. Dumb fucking <laughs> Noah Holly piece of piece of shit. I guess. You're so good at what you do. I hate you. Lucy yeah. in the sky looks really good. Yes, it does. Please come to the theater. Yes. Be on the podcast. We'll talk about Legion. Yes, Noah. You're always welcome. Yeah, I know you're listening. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome anytime. (laughs) But yeah, we're going to take a quick break and uh, come back and talk about the last three episodes in some minor detail and kind of get into that last episode the most heavily. Maybe talk about the future. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Welcome back, listeners. Robbie and I are going to get into these last three episodes. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the world ending. Yeah. In Legion. In theory, yes. In theory. So we're getting into chapter 17, which is episode 9 of season 2, which is the first episode of Legion at all to not have David featured once. This episode true? doesn't have David in it. I didn't even notice that. Mm-hmm. Damn. I guess I'm, that's I how guess good I, it I is. I guess that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's kind of like you kind of go through some David fatigue mm-hmm. in this because it's so confusing and your heart and your mind, they're getting pulled in so many different directions on how you feel about David. Yeah. And so this is like a little bit of a palate cleanser going into the last two episodes to have an episode without David at all, which is kind of nice. Not in a bad way. Just it's nice to see these other characters get featured because this is the heavy Melanie right? episode. Which is a character I thought was was getting sidelined uh, up until this episode kind of happened. I'm, I, I'm actually very glad the way that they uh, handled her character. I did too. Yeah. Especially because yeah. like, by the end she gets, I think, what she wants. You know? I think so. Yeah. Which which is good because, like, you know, you I think, you know, with – female characters in shows like this where you have like male protagonists you have to be a little bit like maybe not hyper aware but just aware of just like how are these characters getting are they getting their time in the sun are they getting sidelined things like that and uh, i don't think that that is the case with her i think that she gets her, her character has a very interesting arc and it works very well and and has enough twists that any other character has in the show yeah so throughout the season especially in episode one of season two melanie has this conversation with sid about what it is to be the sidekick, essentially, to these men who have aspirations of saving the world and feeling very self-important and their women kind of get left behind. And you do start to realize how sad it is that Melanie has spent her entire life trying to get Oliver back and then she loses him again so quickly. 
She doesn't get any time with him at all. Yeah. Well, it turns her. And then Farouk takes her mm-hmm. or takes him and it breaks her. Turns her into kind of like a, a narcissist in a way where she's just kind of like, I don't really care about anything anymore. Mm-mm. And we and we kind of learn that other characters like uh, Carrie with a K is trying to be like, hey, when are you going to get back to work? Which, again, I'm not really sure what her job is, especially in context to where she is in this scenario. But uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. I so I guess I don't really understand what Summerland even like is is it like Charles oh. Xavier School pretty much kind like, of yeah but for the for mutants of the mind yeah it, so Oliver and Carrie and the the male Carrie mm. and the Eye Walter from season one they Oliver. I'm assuming his parents died in some kind of horrific way or mm. when Oliver was very young. He inherited Summerland, and it was a horse ranch. And I, they don't get into it whether it belonged to his parents or what, but he inherited this ranch. patch of land, this mm-hmm. ranch, and uh, took it upon himself along some other mutants to start collecting mutants, very similar to the Xavier School for the Gifted. Yeah. And I, you don't really know if Melanie is a mutant, and you kind of get confirmed that she's not, correct? She I would seems say so, yeah. like, for lack of a better term, civilian. Yeah. Who fell in love. A normie. A normie. <laughs> with this mutant. And because she didn't have a path, she assumed this path, mm-hmm. which I can identify with because going to school for film and growing up in the Midwest and not coming from a lot of money. Yeah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my passion. And then when I met my now husband, I kind of went along his path. I don't feel any ill will about that at all. Mm-hmm. But when Melanie said that she didn't have a dream, not to say that I don't have dreams, but it resonated with me because she just went on this path because she didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. Which I can kind of identify with, and then for her to be so broken as a person because her path has essentially been squandered. Yeah. She's told, well, you've been doing this your entire life, and here you are. Because it's kind of maybe like when a couple opens like a business together, and then there's Mm -hmm. like a falling out or something, or who knows what, like... I can kind of see it being something like that. I think I think your allegory is also very applicable to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's cool that that character kind of speaks to you. I think that that's like a character in talking about superhero narratives that you don't always get a fleshed out perspective on. And I think that hers is really interesting, um, especially because like in season one, she's such like a go getter, really attached to this dream this idealistic kind of version of what she's trying to do and then in season two to see her like a, to see her broken and to honestly not really see her put back together until Oliver is set free mm-hmm. which maybe comes with its own host of questions and, and things to dissect mm-hmm. and so it it is very sad because she's kind of painted as not a hardcore villain mm-hmm. in the first episode when she's talking to Sydney about men leaving and you just need to get over it and maybe say goodbye to your men to assume full power in your own right as a woman, which is an interesting conversation and definitely holds some clout in the story of Legion. 
And she's not intentionally trying to be villainous towards Sid, but she's definitely planting this idea in Sid's mind, even before she's coerced by the Farouk Oliver to start going against the team. So at the end of episode eight, you see her waylay Clark. You see him her like take out Clark essentially. Yeah. Classic movie style in back of head, pass out instantly. (laughs) Who knew? Who knew it was so easy? You could knock me out right now, Bernadette, and I would just you hit me with like, you know, this empty can. (laughs) I would fall down to the wayside and you would just be able to get rid of me. (laughs) I take this Yeti microphone. So easy. Maybe even maybe even just a loose leaf piece of paper is enough to (laughs) knock someone out when you hit them in the back of the head. I guess you just take a postage stamp. (laughs) (laughs) Shabam! You give one one solid karate chop and they're out just forever. (laughs) The least insane thing in Legion. I shouldn't even really be bringing it up, but it's just kind of funny. (laughs) It works. It works. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But yeah, then you get in episode nine. You see three weeks prior. Yes. And so you kind of see some of the timeline jumbled of when Farouk starts to use Oliver against Melanie, coercing her into maybe being an activist for Farouk. But Melanie seems like she is in sound mind that she says, you know, this is what I need. If I yeah. help you, give me Oliver back, please. Yeah. Which Farouk does make good on. He's a dude who makes all, he makes good on promises. I mean, that's he says that that's a thing where I come from. Uh, we honor promise of whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> <laughs> that started out so strong. <laughs> Where I come from. You could just imagine the, the little mustache on his perfect fucking face. <laughs> we make good on promises. Promises. <laughs> Not trying to make fun of his accent. No. He is great. He's awesome. I just think his cadence is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have the Melanie and Oliver storyline happening. We see uh, Lenny's drugged fueled like evening of gallivanting yep. and then you see Carrie and Carrie kind of like on their end of the mission as well mm-hmm. so it's a lot of like dealing with the weapons and people realizing that they really don't know fully why they're doing what they're doing yeah, because they David just kind of implanted these right. orders but it's a very fun episode and a very cool episode for what it is yeah like in a lot of cases, in a lot of shows, this would have been an episode that stalled because it's very much a necessity in the giant plot of the show Yeah, that it almost feels perhaps contrived, but obviously because Legion's so good, it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I would think that it's more of a stalling when we got the, the kind of bottle episode, to use the term that you used earlier. Um, I think that would be considered maybe more of like a a stalling in the, in, the, in the sense of, like, you know, an engine not, like, doing what it's supposed to do just because it's it's a, it's a break between a cliffhanger and what happens in the episode. Because the cliffhanger of the episode before it is, what the fuck's going on with this body snatching bullshit? And then you, you get it after, oops, sorry, after episode six. Um, this episode, I, I agree with you, where it's, like, it's very necessary. It's very, mm-hmm. um, and it's good to see what the show kind of looks like without David. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll ever see a full season without him really in it, but uh, no. I'm assuming we're going to get a lot of episodes with him maybe not being the focal point going forward, especially Possibly. if he's kind of shifting into the the big bad, which I don't think will be the big, big bad, but I think he will be villainous going forward. We will we will see. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I also really liked seeing the, the male carry out in the field. 
Because typically when we see one of the Carries sent on a mission in the outside world, it's always mm-hmm. the female carry. At this point, they're still having trouble merging, binding, or has that kind of been resolved? I think it was resolved. Okay. There was a moment where... Because Farouk kind of made it so like they couldn't he, like, pull together again. chimed that spoon. The, yeah. And it kept them separate. And then another, they were inside out for a while. Another potential Matrix reference. Yes. The cave. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I could see, I could see it being. Oh, definitely. Right. Like a little wink. Yeah. At the very least. Yeah. But uh, then there's the scene where male Carrie encounters female Carrie in the hallway and she's mm-hmm. been infected. Mm-hmm. But then when the monk commits suicide, everyone wakes up. Yes. But uh, that moment where Carrie, the male Carrie, does find the female Carrie chattering. He puts his head against her head and says, I'm so sorry. And he kind of dissolves into her. Mm. And then when the monk uh, dies, dies, yeah. commits suicide, everyone wakes up. And the male carry, like the female carry pulls the male carry out of her. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's when the male carry tells her, like, we need to maybe stay separate for a while so you can learn to be on your own in case that happens again. Yeah, and I well, think he, that's he, when he starts training her on like how to eat and use the restroom. He does seem to be more concerned going forward. And he's, he says pretty much verbatim when they're in the, um, I think it's a Chinese food restaurant. Where they're having dumplings. <laughs> yeah, that, that very cool cafeteria that they have at yeah, Division Well, three. no, I actually think they go, because it's right before, it is a separate location right before they go to the, because they're chasing the blue octopus. And oh, he's yeah, just like, yes. try these dumplings. Then he tells her, he's just like, you know, I'm going to die before yes. you. And she's just like, what the fuck? I'm going to kill death even if he comes for you. And he's like, that's very sweet, but no. <laughs> right. That's not how that works. Um, which is like, you know, it's interesting. Their dichotomy and like, you know, I don't, I don't think the rules of their powers make a ton of sense. But I just love the way they interact with each other and just like the kind of narrative threads they pre- present in the show and like it's they're they're such like a great like duo of characters mm-hmm. i wish our fight scenes were a little better yeah because i think they get worse over time yeah especially like the stick kung fu scene towards the end of the show is just like guys this looks bad yeah in a show that is like pretty visually stunning and perfect like this just doesn't look that good yeah i wasn't really super like the, the whole bathtub drain thing and the monks that was kind of like, uh, all right. He's pushing a little bit for he, you. I was in it for it mostly because, yeah. like, I love the idea of them wearing the safes on their heads. Yes. <laughs> that like, was cool. And I, and I like the bathtub drain. Just, like, it's just so insane. Like, your, your brain can't comprehend it. And then once no. you're in there, it's like this Farouk maze that's guarded by a minotaur, which seems to represent something about Melanie. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Maybe we talk about that soon too, because mm-hmm. um, the Minotaur has been uh, bef- before season two, part two that we're at now. Yes. The Minotaur has been a a character before in the show. Mm-hmm. Not quite sure what he's emblematic of, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Now we're I'm jumping ahead. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm into the drain. Is what I'm trying to say. Yes, <laughs> the drain was cool, mm-hmm. but I agree with you that uh, the fight scenes aren't. Super great. I mean, they're they're fine. They're, for they're, sure. They are serviceable for what the show is trying to do. Yes. I'm not trying to be like, 
put the put the microscope on them. Especially like yes. I love the scene uh, in in season one where it's to the Feist song. It's yes, on the Metals album. Great. It's like mm, this is so fucking good. It's yeah, it's that great. one's great. But like that that trick of like superimposing like the fading images of her doing kicks and stuff like when you use it like four times like i i as an audience member start to kind of just like notice mm-hmm. i'm just like she's doing a pose and then you're flipping the camera a little quick so we don't realize that it's like she doesn't know how to do fight choreography or like or you didn't make fight choreography a part of the scene yes i'm sure that, she could, I'm sure she could do yeah i'm sure she could do whatever you, you teach her how to do and to do that yeah yeah uh I think especially with her inaugural fight scene in season one, like you were saying, to the fight yeah. song, I think you get the distraction of the male carry also kind of fighting in the lab by himself. Where he's like which is very moving cool. around and like the juxtaposition of the two, it looks awesome. It looks yes. so good. Yeah. Agreed. When she's just kind of fighting on her own, uh, it's just not a smooth. Because, yeah, my sister. Minor grip. Yes. yes. My sister, as we were talking and. I was explaining the carries to her. How? <laughs> she, she was like, so, okay, the, the female care, like, Carrie is just, like, super strong. And I'm like, no, she's not super strong. She's just fit and she trains. Yeah. She was like, oh, she doesn't have, like, super strength or super speed or anything. I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, well, then what's her thing? And I'm like, she exists in the same body as the male carry. That's her thing. There's someone who, they, they explain it in the show, and I'm not sure what episode, but I think the, the most poignant way they explain it is just, like, Someone does the boring stuff, which is seems to be shitting, eating, and sleeping, and one gets to do the fun stuff, which is kicking ass. Yeah. <laughs> and they are both okay with it. And I think that's kind of explanation enough. Enough. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. But yeah, so that's kind of that episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially. There's a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of great character what work is it, going What does on. that episode culminate in? Like, what's like the, the leaving moments of it? I think it's uh, Lenny walking away with the weapon she takes out of the trunk while the car's in flames. I love that shot. Is that the very end of that episode? Yeah. I think so, right? I'm glad that you took notes because I there there a lot of the ending is kind of bleeding together. Yeah, this I mean, the entire show very much feels like a movie split into parts, but very coherent coherent parts yeah, that work yes. as episodes. <laughs> coherent, I don't know if it's the right word, but I think you are right. <laughs> Talking about a show, yes. yes. Talking about the subject matter, Perhaps maybe not. not. <laughs> Fair. Because we are mere mortals. Yeah, we're only people. Living in this world. Unlike Noah Hawley, a god. <laughs> <He's> a god. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, no, I agree. I guess, um, yeah, I mean, I, maybe to talk more about just uh, like Lenny going back to like the drug den and she's known as Cornflakes Girl, which is like I love when shows give you uh, – they give you bits of, like, what a character's history is without, mm-hmm. like, focusing too much on it. So mm-hmm. you just hear, like, it's like, I don't know what that fucking means, but, like, it means something to these people and that's, like, interesting, you know? Yes. And that they're so, like, kind of fucked up that they don't even realize that she's been gone for however long. And also helps really solidify kind of debunking our theory that she could not even be have been real in the first place. It's just right. like, no, like, she, she is – This is more evidence that she That existed. she is a real thing, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Um, but yeah, and then her, I mean, you know, we'd be remiss not to talk about her kind of like first big showdown with Amy in mm-hmm. in the room after uh, post-coitus. Yes. Yeah. And Amy, yeah, coming for her. Basically being like, is this how you did it? David? She's like, I was more like a Halloween mask. She's like, uh-huh. 
And then she just, like, fucking spooks the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. It's a good moment. It's cool. And also kind of telling her, like, listen, you've been given the second chance that you said you weren't going to waste. Don't waste it. What are you doing here? We, we need your help. Like, do the thing you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Get your head in the game. To kind of, to, to, to maybe perhaps tie it back into the season, or to, to episode six, mm-hmm. where we're learning about the Amy and David kind of dichotomy and learning about what Amy does for David no matter what the reality is. Pause as I drink my seltzer. Yes, yes. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. Um, sh- there's a point where she's like, you'll do anything for David because like you really like him, right? Or like you guys are such good friends or something like that. I almost wonder if that's not so much Lenny feeling this camaraderie with David, but Amy He's using... Body. Her body being like, no, you really care about David, but it's really Amy really cares about David, right? You kind you kind of yeah, see where I'm going with that's that. That's a good culmination. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's like I think that it's Amy manipulating Lenny to be like using this visceral caretaker emotion that's baked into like that 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 part of the brain or whatever to to make her go on this basically sniping mission to yeah. do the thing later. Um, I almost read it like that. I almost, I'm, I'm curious, like how much Lenny really cares about David, but it's more like Amy really cares about David, and then Lenny's kind of just long for the the ride, but she thinks that it's a little bit more than that. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, or maybe a little bit, a little bit of both. You know, I think yeah. maybe Lenny does care about David to a certain extent, but judging by her previous actions and what her past life was. I don't think she cares about David that much. I think Amy really cares about David, but by sharing that body, Amy's that that's like that's kind of what the the subconscious Amy can push is like the caretaking of David. Yeah. So in, in a way, like Amy's kind of putting herself in a villainous role by um giving David kind of a false fuel for his fire in a way, you know, being like, I want what's best for you, but David is not doing what's best for anybody. Right. I mean, Amy and all of her misguided judgment her entire life, she has been an enabler for David. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's like exactly the word. Yeah. Enabler. Exactly. Yeah. And, if, and the thing is, Lenny has been an enabler of David to, to do drugs and to get into bad shit. Well, that was then, maybe Benny. Yeah. So, True. No, no but, valid point. But definitely camaraderie and clockworks for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. So I think there might be a little bit. Well, that's so fa- going on. Yeah, I really like that you brought that up because I never considered. I'd always wondered why does she have Amy's eye or Amy? Yeah, Amy's, Amy's eyes, eyes. Yeah, the blue eyes. Why are her eyes not brown like Lenny's? And yeah, maybe it's just like There's Amy's a taking some small power over yeah. it, and she wants Lenny to see David the same way she sees David. I mean, if you want to get into some like kind of you know basic psychology shit, which I am not an expert of, but you mm-hmm. look at like kind of the 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 ego, the id, and the super ego, and you mm-hmm. think of like the iceberg, and you think of, like you know maybe you know some part of Amy is under the surface of the iceberg as the id or the super ego, and she's controlling those like. Under Ace the surface urges. urges, yeah, and that's why Lenny is just like, I need to talk to David. I gotta talk to David. I'm gonna help David. I'm gonna do this. Like, I don't think that it's Lenny in. I, I think that Lenny is doing it, but I think it's like you know someone kind of pushing few, her, f- pushing her. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Because I never considered also that is this true that all babies are born with blue eyes, 
and then they change. Is that a thing? I don't know. I've also heard that all babies are born with blonde hair before it changes, oh, too. Well, no. <laughs> I don't know a lot about babies. I also don't know a ton about psychology, so, you know. <laughs> Write in and tell me about the superego, please. So, so we're the perfect people to talk about Legion. <laughs> I don't think anyone's the perfect person to talk about Legion. We're coming at it from the perspective that we understand, which is uh, television, television and, and movies. And yeah, that's that's what we got for you. Right. But yeah, I think that's a very interesting perspective to take. And I also think it's not wrong. I think that's the beauty of Legion is that you can kind of have multiple perspectives and takes on yeah, the show. And sure. you're not wrong. No. Unless they pretty much tell you, like, oh, yeah, Lenny was a real person. Then you're like, fuck, I was wrong. God damn it. I hate this show for a day <laughs> before right. I like it again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the show, the show like, it's it's strange the times where it kind of chooses to kind of take the reins back in a way and be like, this is not theoretical anymore. But it's also very on purpose. And I think it's done yeah. very well. But, yeah, I think that's kind of. That's that's the end of season uh, of episode eight, right? Is, yeah, is that nine. is that kind of like her getting the car and t- teleporting to the desert in the car? Mm-hmm. Not quite sure how that one works. I feel but. like that's probably a David thing. That David like because he teleports there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, this is all superhero shows and movies, and this is even the MCU. I'm not even gonna say issue because like it is what it is, but like what level of power characters have is never right. super gauged well where like someone like Captain America can get like punched by like a normal guy and be like, oh I've been punched. This like fucking sucks. But then he takes down like a fucking helicopter in another scene. <laughs> it's like, alright, cool. Legion, they they have a lot more fun with it where it's just like, no, David can just bend fucking reality. Mm-hmm. Nothing matters to him. I actually like that where it's like you're never quite sh- – the show bends to David's kind of will. Yeah. And I really like that about it. So like him being like, I need this car to be here when I need it to be. Here it is. That's just the – that's the way it is, which I think also you know maybe going forward fuels like why he's so detached and why he's actually a lot more villainous and why that's been seeded the whole time than we actually think. Yeah, definitely. Someone, being someone with power, you know. Well, that was the thing, too, that a big change, a shift from season one to season two. Season one, all of these places are very ambiguous. We don't quite know where these places are. However, we do hear upstate a couple times in season one. So you're led to believe that it's kind of like in the New York countryside. Yeah. Somewhat. But it's never concretely nailed down where the show is taking place. It's also reminiscent of like where the Charles Xavier School would be. Because that's a lot of times... I, I'm pretty sure it's it's always Westchester. Yeah. Which, like, you know, everywhere else is upstate New York before, besides, like, what it actually is. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, the Xavier School's in Westchester where it's so deep in the woods. No civilization. <laughs> so upstate in Westchester. And then you see a brochure for the school for the gifted and you're like, a quick 35-minute drive to the city. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Wow, you can go to NYU like really easily after you're done with this. <laughs> but yeah, I think season two mm-hmm. is so out of space, not in outer space, but just so out of like a physical reality of space that you don't know. Like you're like, where is this desert? It's like less. Where is yeah, this? Everything's less t- tangible than Summerland, which is where we spend a lot of our time in season one. Because mm-hmm. um, I've always felt that Division three in season two feels a little bit more like LA to me. 
Because things seem very segregated as opposed to living like in New York City. Yeah. But I mean, we're still again, really only in Division Three, so it's kind of hard to say, right? Right. You see yeah. like the exterior of the building multiple times. Yeah. And you kind of see views of the city from the roof when, you know, David and Sid or David and the monk. Even the first see. time I see the, the, the top of the roof when he like collapses in, in episode one, season two, like I was just like, oh, this is in a mind trick a mind yeah. city but i guess not yeah i guess yeah. It's, it has some kind of physical reality mm-hmm. but that's what makes les desolets the the desert chase so cool yeah with that scene of like the, the Oliver building is always moving yes. it's so cool. and david's like well i thought i saw it the other day but now i don't see it anymore yeah. so we're gonna continue to search for it's, it it's uh it's like lovecrafting in a way of just like not being able to understand the perceived or seeing something so insane that you just like cannot perceive it you know but like because legion or because david's so insane he's just like oh yeah it's like always moving yeah (laughs) i don't really know and like that's like kind of like the 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 energy he presents to that idea it's just like yeah it's just kind of always moving around i don't really fucking understand it but we'll figure it out right and then even when they go to the tent with sid which, like, the Sid drop-in in the beginning of that episode, where she just drops from the fucking helicopter and just, like, hits him a bunch. And they just find the tent where they're just like, that's us dead, though, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's go to bed. And then it happens multiple times. Yep. Yeah. Well, it happens twice. I think, yeah, twice. Which Maybe I think three times, but yeah. I think it happens, the reason I think it happens twice is because the way I read it was they go in once, see it, and then it's, that is supposed to be them Mm-hmm. And then they come in again, and that's them seeing it. Uh, gotcha. Guess if you, you kind of see. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it could be like them entering the tent from David's perspective, and then them entering the tent from Sid's perspective. Sure. Yeah, I'm into that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know. I think the the whole like compass, the whole David compass, yeah. is very sweet, but also kind of like a oh well, that's why Sid found him, of course, because <laughs> she has the compass that finds him. I mean, it works, and I'm sure we'll get even more play going forward. Yeah. But I love, yeah, Sid smacking him a whole bunch and being like, I'm on your side, We're idiot. We're on the same team. <laughs> you dumbass. It's the beginning of, it's so fucking sad. Mm-hmm. I was so, I'm so in on their relationship and like, I understand that it cannot be. Yeah. So going into episode 10, chapter 18, this is the big episode where, yeah, people are trying to convince either Sid or David, like. David never loved you, or he did love you once, and now he is incapable of love. Like, Melanie, just, like, Farouk as Melanie, using Melanie as a vessel. Showing, you know, in, he, he's In very, the cave when Sid falls very, into the bathtub drain. Yeah. <laughs> Again, insane. Yeah. But he is showing her, I mean, what do you make of, of that? He is, Farouk as Melanie is showing her vignettes that he has selected and he has chosen to create a narrative to show her Mm -hmm. that david is evil that david is evil and like you know if you takes if i took certain segments of your life and taking things out of context i'm sure i could show someone a really bad picture of you absolutely right same goes for me so like you know what what do you make of that scene because like i think i think the reason i bring it up is because like ultimately it leads to something i agree with I think the showdown with Sid and David, he's beating this dude with a rock and taking pretty, like, gleefully joy in doing it. I mean, there, there's so many layers to it. Because, again, you could be like, this guy really fucked David up for a while. Yeah. 
but he's also really into doing this, you know? And, like, even when he's torturing Oliver, like, yeah, he seems pretty into it, right? Like, Yeah, you but know? he also knows that Oliver is a vessel for Farouk. He also knows that Oliver won't die in yeah, this yeah. in this scenario. So what so what do you my question to you is like what what do you make of this idea of like showing of taking or do you even read it that way that I described? Like oh, what no. do you make of that scene? I I totally am understanding what you were painting for sure. Yeah. I also feel super saddened by their relationship dissolving towards the end. Because it happens bef- quick. <laughs> before the last episode, we'll yeah. get into that in a moment. But leading up to that point, if you are told that someone is evil, and if you are given the tools to use that against someone else. Yeah. So if someone were to say, convince me that you were evil. Me? <laughs> <laughs> and then I come to you and I tell you. I think you're a bad dude. Yeah. That, of course, is going to mess with your mind and make you wonder if you are a bad dude, which might lead you to being a bad dude, even if you weren't beforehand. Or even because I rejected it so much, I end up doing something bad or something like that. Exactly. And I think that's the true tragedy of this entire season is people believing a certain thing because they're told it, not because they see it. But because they're told it. It's kind of like the witch hunt idea it, in it a way, right? Itself. Yeah. Exactly. Because they're so afraid of something that is indeed catastrophic to happen that they kind of create it or something worse or just different and bad. You know, I don't, I, you know, I, like, you know, me, I'm not even trying to defend David in this scenario. I think when we get into like the last episode the things that he does are pretty unforgivable and, and yes. we will we will talk about it so i'm not trying to before if anyone's seen this the season and and there's jumping ahead of me i'm not trying to say that but for where we are in this point in the episode you know i think farouk is is using the leverage that he knows from the future of just like i know that david has the potential to be a bad person and I know what the kind of turnkey to making that definitely happen is. Because, like, Farouk wants nothing more than David to go down the dark path and become a bad dude. That works very well for Farouk. Or... Because then he becomes useful. Right. Or Farouk just wants David to admit what he could be. Not even maybe yeah. necessarily go fully down that path, but acknowledge, like, we are one and the same. I think that that might be a little bit, but like you know, there's a reason why during the trial of the Shadow King, that there's no the Shadow King is not bound anymore. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 literally trust Farouk more than they trust David. Oh yeah. So you know, I think for Farouk, it's kind of like you know, is it part of like a master plan or manifest destiny? I don't know, but I think Farouk, like you know, it's kind of in his best interest. For David to be the bad person, but I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, someone framing another person. I think it's unfortunately the truth. You know? Yeah, I think David has. I do think that you know David. Uh, I don't think David was going down the path to be the David that destroys everything. But I think there was enough meddling that made it Happen. a reality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think it happened really late in the season. I don't think that was something that could have happened from episode one, season two. I think it happened in that last episode pretty much, you know. Yeah, I would almost feel safe saying 
that I think Farouk was pretty much scot-free of any evil doing at all for the season, except for the Amy Lenny scenario. That is the one instance where that is something awful that Farouk did. And Pretty he unforgivable. And he was doing it yeah. to get to David as revenge or to provoke him into following this evil path. the whole reason they're trying to stop Farouk is just so he doesn't become super powerful by getting his body back, becoming right. tangible. But we don't even know what the consequences of that really is because if, we've just yeah. been told it's prophecy versus prophecy. Right. You know, we have these two gods, one tangible, one not. And what we're hearing is if one becomes tangible, one may not be enough to stop the other. And then it kind of flips. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it doesn't seem like Farouk has grand aspirations to do something completely awful. Once he has his body back, but he has the potential to do so. I mean, he's an unre- he's a he's unreliable because he exactly. says like I just want to live, but like I'm not going to kill anyone. Have you seen how people. little that fucking mustache is? Super sinister. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> Who knows? Dude, he, he wears sunglasses most of the time. You can't see his shifty eyes. They're, well, they also have yellow frames, which is the king with the yellow eyes. I don't know. Super creepy. I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think. There's a lot of he said, she said that does cause things to happen the way some people think. But I think this is a fascinating episode where you find out that future Sid came and started telling David some stuff. Yeah. She wasn't super clear or super. Didn't have the ability to be super clear. Right. Yeah. And she imparts some knowledge to make David start helping Farouk. And then it causes the Amy scenario. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, meanwhile, it's really future Sid telling Farouk, you're going to be the hero in this scenario. You have to stop David. That Farouk then starts using Melanie as a tool to corrupt present day Sid into essentially turning David into the villain. Yeah. And it's just like a lot of like that's a lot. What's, that's a what lot came first, on. the chicken or the egg? Yeah. In this scenario, it seems very cyclical. It seems mm-hmm. like everything is playing out the way it always would have played out, no matter what. Right. That's what they kind of present you with, mm-hmm. and then it just seems like, well, none of this could have been stopped, and you're just watching this terrible tragedy unfold. Yeah. Where there's not a lot of wiggle room for other, other results in this particular timeline yeah. of the David we're following. I mean, I think it's... Which is heartbreaking. because It is heartbreaking. David does some terrible stuff, but also it seems kind of inevitable, like a Greek tragedy. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, can someone that powerful, can someone so powerful that can even bend the laws of reality with just a thought, like, can they even exist? Like, can should they even exist? Like... You know, I think I think David has proven to be more powerful than Farouk. Like, Farouk has power over, like, the realm of the mind, but David can make the realm of the mind a reality. Like, I don't think we see Farouk really do that too much. Like, Farouk controls perception. David changed a fucking gun into a broom, and that's real. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, can someone that powerful be allowed to exist? Can an atom bomb with a personality exist? I don't fucking know, man. Like, that's that's some deep shit. 
Yeah. And it seems, too, like in a, in a lot of these scenarios, it's like, all right, well, then you take out the most powerful mutant in the world being David, mm-hmm. but then you still have another more, most powerful mutant That's in the, the thing, world. yeah. Even if David's like, dead, then it's like, well, now Farouk's now here. Farouk. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how nice to see. And then if Farouk is killed, then I guess it's maybe Charles Xavier. And yeah. it's like, who, I mean, he's, who I think is the he's, balance? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that depends on, like, what we think the ultimate... Uh, threat of the show is you know like what's the ultimate thematic kind of I don't think it's there yet I don't think it's it's presented yet mm-hmm. but you know if you have you know again a matrix thing a zero and a one cast, cancel each other out mm-hmm. you know, Agent Smith Neo we have a Farouk and a David who I don't think cancel each other out it's the idea of just like there's we only have one shot of stopping the other and then we know that Charles Xavier has stopped Farouk before. Yeah. And Charles Xavier hasn't started any problems, I guess. So, like, they're cool with that. <laughs> I don't fucking know. But that's, we'll that, find that's, out. that's baked into the whole narrative of Legion since, you know, the, the first few episodes that David's father stopped Farouk in the first place. Right. So that's that's all there. So who knows? Yeah. But it, it also seems like Charles just went and kind of said, like, you can't be – I'm going to put a stop to you, but right. who's to say that he should have been the judge in that scenario? Because Farouk yeah. is like, I felt like everything was going pretty okay. And I mean, then- that's uh, that's something that I kind of realized because uh, I watched Dark Phoenix today. <laughs> but like, that's like really something that they hammer home in Dark Phoenix is the idea of Charles kind of like being so controlling and being like, I like it, the, the way Dark Phoenix tackles it is that like. You know, Charles Xavier's trying to hide trauma from someone. Right. And then when that trauma unlocks for that person, they go fucking insane. And it's just like, why did you do that? And he's like, I was trying to protect him. And it's like, that's really stupid, which is why Dark Phoenix is a very shallow movie because that, that just ends there. Whereas Legion's a very good show because there's a lot of different things you can do with that. Right, um, right. Like Melanie, yeah, I guess her purpose. She's like, yeah, I want to help you train and learn how to harness this power rather right. than I believe, shield, shield I believe you. in you. Right. Yeah. Right. She's trying to foster this thing where, you know, I, I think with David it's just kind of – I mean the way the, the way the show ends is that he's just kind of – he's like a freight train that's off the rails. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm going to be a really bad Adventure Time fan for a moment. But uh, in that world, very similarly, mm-hmm. Princess Bubblegum takes like a part of uh, herself. Very good analogy. Yes. <laughs> takes a part of herself and makes this creature that's very, very powerful and it becomes too powerful. Mm-hmm. And then she has to use a part of Finn to make another creature that holds that creature in Is that check. the Griffin ep- episode? Yeah. That episode's so fucking good. <laughs> and then yeah. those two creatures are just like staring at each other. They're locked, mm-hmm. controlling the other for eternity. Yeah. Because then even in the series finale, you see them in the distance and they're still perched still way battling. up top. Yeah. Still locked, making sure that the other doesn't do the thing that they could do. Yeah. And yeah, that's like... Farouk and David, and it's like yeah. at in that point, aren't you both slaves? To I mean, it's like keeping it's like, yourselves in check. Like neither one of you can fully live. I mean, is it a Cold War analogy in that sense? I think in Adventure yeah. Time, that is definitely a Cold War analogy. I think mm-hmm. you know if we if we take it into the world of Legion, I could totally see that. Yeah, it's an arms race of mutants. Mm-hmm. 
And it's an arms race of mutants that's taking place in this war that only that no one perceives except for the select few. Right. It's interesting, you know. Yeah. There's one thing uh, that would fit the time period that you think it exists as well. To a I'm certain not, degree, I, I'm not sure if I believe any time period fair, exists. Fair. Region. Don't hold me to that necessarily. <laughs> the one that it most no heaviest one, alludes. No one to. uses a cell phone. I'll say that. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's all I got for you. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of like this is like a weird thing maybe to bring up, but like uh, uh, since like so Star Wars, like the Clone Wars and all that stuff, like in Star Wars, the Clone Wars, it's like a battle between clones and droids. Mm-hmm. So it's there's no draft. Right. There's no people brought in. So, like, uh, only recently, I think, since, like, the new Star Wars movies are coming out, uh, I read something about, like, someone describing how a lot of the galaxy in the world of Star Wars didn't even know that a war was happening because they were yeah. basically just, like, these insane proxy battles. Yeah. And that kind of reminds me of, like, what the the fight between, like, Farouk and something like David would be like where it's, like, there's just this insane war happening of the astral plane that we just can't even perceive. But if something tipped one way or the other, then we're all of a sudden very involved, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you don't really see a lot of the mutants dealing with the civilian civilian world at all, mm-hmm. save for the alternate reality David episode, where yeah. you finally see David interacting with humans. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the rest of the time we're either in clockworks, yeah, which essentially they're kind of painting those people kind of like mutants in a way. Charles Xavier ish school mm-hmm. hu- hub of this weird thing. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, Summerland, which is all mutants, and then Division Three, Division Three, which is weird mutants. Which I thought was supposed to be being like we're not into. That's how they painted in season one, where it's like Division Three, they don't like mutants, <laughs> but then it's run by like. Uh, Fukuyama, which is just like maybe the, the most mutant. I don't even fucking know. <laughs> he's so mutant they made him less mutant, and now he's a, a computer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought as much as I love this show, but yeah, that first episode in season two where they're like, we finally convinced them that we're not really harmful. We just want to help and it's coexist. So la- it's so laissez-faire. Which the thing is, like that also matches the tone of the show. Yes. <laughs> It's very silly, but I'm I'm here for it. You're like, cool, now the female carry is in charge of their tactical unit. Cool, I'm into it. Everyone's just cool with that. Oh, yeah, and the guy that you burned half his fucking face off just doesn't like you a little bit, but everyone still is really cool, and he has, like, girl talk with Sid later because I guess they're best friends. I don't fucking know. I actually yeah. do really like that scene. I actually really like his uh, queerness as a character. I feel like they handle it very well. I agree. Because it's, it's just something that's, like, it doesn't take center stage Mm-mm. and the show's not trying to be like yo we got a queer character check us out which is like what the mcu hasn't figured out yet where they've been talking about having a queer character for like fucking four movies it's just like hey guys you just it just should be there by now yeah we don't need a fucking press release about it yeah be normal like let's not fuck around whereas the show like i think does it really well i agree you know it's just him kind of saying it offhand like you would talk about a spouse as he talked about it. and his like whole story about like um which I think is in the episode that we're talking about, where he's just like, I used to love a guy who used to jump out of planes a lot, and one day his chute didn't open. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, mm, chef's kiss. That's how you do it. That's great. You just bring it up in conversation like mm-hmm. it's a part of your life, because it's a part of your life. Exactly. It's a normal thing that's supposed to happen in your life. Yeah, I just, I do wonder, where did your husband go, Clark? 
Your husband lived, right? Where was your didn't, husband? Didn't they show his husband in the last season? Yeah. I don't remember that arc as much. Yeah. Or like that moment. It's just the last episode of season one, you find out when Clark was in the hospital that he had a husband and an adopted son. Right. And then at the and end of that episode. Left? At the end of that episode where Clark is trying to talk to David and that whole like Farouk showdown at the end of season one goes down. Mm-hmm. Like the the leader of Division Three was talking to his husband, who's also working for Division Three. Right. Like, I'm gonna give your man more time. I'll give him one more hour. Yeah. And so he's clearly a part of Division Three. And then in season two, they don't mention where he goes at all. Yeah. Did they? And did I just miss it? No, I I, I really don't think they did because I have a pretty good eye for stuff like that. Yeah. Like, he never know. talks about his husband or his son. And no. they just kind of aren't the, there. The first moment he has of bringing up, you know, the, the his his queerness as a character is when he's talking to Sid. Yeah. You know, and he even, like, mentions it. Like, it's a little more on the nose. The line I didn't love when he's like, oh, we're having, we're, it's just girl talk. Yeah. I'm just like, all right, let's fucking relax. But also, like, I'm also into it. Like, whatever they want to pitch it, that's fine. Right. No, that's not even a gripe. I'm being, I'm being a little queen about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's I cool. mean. Maybe his husband and adopted son are Safe. kind of like relocated somewhere, kind of like Amy and Ben. Who knows? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Who knows? That's might be something we find out about about season three. Yeah. Season three seems like it's going to be pretty packed with narrative, so I don't even know. I don't if think that we're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> who knows, man? I mean, they go to such too. Weird, they go to such fucking weird places, and just this one, who fucking knows? Maybe there will be an entire episode just with the husband and son. Who knows? <laughs> If Breaking Bad did it with a fly, they can certainly do it with husband <laughs> son. <laughs> That's true. And I would watch it. I'm here for that. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, the penultimate episode, we kind of skirted around. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of Mel- Melanie and Sid stuff going on yeah. in the cavern that the bathtub drain leads to. There's yes. the carry fight that we kind of talked about. There's the Minotaur that's like hanging out. What do you think the Minotaur represents? Because I never quite, like, figured that one out, I think. I don't think I did either. Because we see it in the first episode where you see... Farouk brings in the tangible, which also debunks my Farouk power analogy. Yeah. He brings this fucking insane beast into the real world. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, In that first episode where Melanie, you see her for the first time and she's inhaling... The blue vapor. The elephant bong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's drugged out on the bed and she like leans over and you see her like laying upside down essentially. Mm-hmm. That's when you see the Minotaur for the first time. And his little, what I think Carrie or Clark, I forget who, was like, mm-hmm. why is he in a doggy wheelchair? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's mad funny. That's why he's like, I'm never going to see that character again. And he comes fucking back. Yeah. It's also why it's like, your neck's bleeding a lot. Are you okay? She's like, it's not my blood. She just throws in the Minotaur. <laughs> but yeah, at first I interpreted it as like Melanie's fantasy of like she's drugged out all the time. And this is just kind of like the man she yeah. keeps locked up in her room Monkey that she her like shoulder kind of fantasizes about. Yeah. He's in he's a paraplegic, so he can't run away from her. And yeah. I don't really get the Minotaur head though. Like I get the man body. I was gonna say I'm in, I, I, was, I was into what you're pitching, but they kind of I don't defer away from that pretty quickly. I don't understand why he's like this mythological creature. That's the part that I'm like, what's up with that, Melanie? Because yeah. it seems like she kind of manifested I mean, this creature. He's weakened. 
until Farouk gives him the ability to stand. Like, Farouk gives him the ability to not need the chair anymore. Right. But I know what I just said, and I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, unless maybe Farouk and Oliver got to Melanie sooner than what were given, really. And, like, she was kind of building that character, giving strength to that creature. Through I mean, her psycho- through her like drug-addled trips, I mean, and then Farouk used it yeah. later on. I mean, we first really hear about him when they're in the her maze. He's yes. in her maze, but is he? Maybe the maybe the idea is that Farouk implanted him, and he's an infection in similar her maze. Similar to the insanity, bug. yeah, exactly. Because because now I'm trying to think about the timeline. Because when we learn about the three weeks earlier bit. Mm-hmm. Does that take place in that same kind of timeline? I mean, maybe it represents like some kind of doubt that Oliver's coming back home. I don't know, man. I like the character. I like the Minotaur beast mm-hmm. a lot. I think he's fucking mm-hmm. cool. And I like and he- that he has to fight them. <laughs> I think that's great. And he- a Minotaur is typically referred to in the story of mazes. And so in Melanie's yes. maze and then kind of like the weird cavern maze. It's, it's pretty maze-like, I would say. Yeah. yeah. So he's just like kind of, hmm. Maybe I mean, I'm not sure if we're going to debunk it here, but no. it's it's interesting. I mean, like it could just be like, this is cool. Yeah. Which I'm also here for. But I, I feel like everything else in the show we were able to kind of talk Figure about. Out. Yeah, dissect it enough, you know. And there's a very good chance, listeners, that you guys are like, yeah, this is it like the Minotaur represents her path or whatever. Yeah, I feel like there might be some like weird Minotaur mythology that's We're probably missing. very easy to look up mm. and research, and we just didn't do the research. So That's fair. We're busy there's, watching the show. There's that. <laughs> I had to watch Dark Phoenix today. Did you have to watch Dark <laughs> Phoenix today? That movie sucks. Read about it later yeah, when Robbie I, writes an article I about guess, it. I guess I have to. <laughs> uh, I wanted to like it. Yeah. You go into every movie, like, ready to accept what it's giving. I, I generally am. You're really good about that. Especially about to pay for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I really would, I would love to like this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, then let's get into the last episode. and The intro. Talk about that. Well, whew. Behind blue eyes, man. Interesting choice. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, not, not that it's no not, one knows what it's like to be the sad man, to be the bad. N- man. Not to say that it doesn't behind make sense. Yeah. Uh, just like it's it's just not a choice I expected. Right? Yeah. Who could who could have seen that one coming? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's they really like classic rock, and I'm into that, and they're into the Who, and I'm into that. Because, like, season one opens up with The Who. I think all of the songs in Legion I fuck with. Oh, yeah. Like, they have some of the best, like, they have, like, the best soundtrack. And it's, like, every single episode, whenever there is a needle drop, you're like, how did you know what I wanted to hear? Yeah. Every single time. That fight song, when they played that fight song during the carry fight, I was just like, I feel like none of you motherfuckers listen to metals besides me. And that <laughs> album rocks. It's like the best Feist album and no one fucks with it besides me. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they have that fight. I mean, so what I also really liked about the fight besides it just being like just fucking Super the, cool. the best. Uh, it looked ex- almost identical to the fight that happens in the flashback where they explain when Farouk yes. dies in his glasses. 
it's it's pretty much the same it's animation happening which i also like we didn't have a chance to maybe talk about that scene but i just love that scene where they show farouk dying yeah where he's just sitting at the table he's just hanging out he's having a side it's this it's the idea of the secret war it's the idea of just the war that happens on a plane that we can't even perceive and you see it just happening in his glasses and it looks it looks i think identical to the animation style we'll see later i yeah assume it's a direct callback to it also, uh, like and he just falls face down into fucking food. yeah, it's like a tabouli or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it also like very much delivered on a heightened version of the chalkboard fight that we see David imagining took place between his dad yes. and Farouk from season one. And it's mm-hmm. just so good because like they've the been, style they've is been seeding it. Yeah. Yes, and it does not disappoint. No, because it's so much build up to like Dave, David. Facing Farouk in his body mm-hmm. and meeting as like a uh, the meeting of the minds between right. the two most powerful mutants. How are they going to pull this off? Mm-hmm. And they do. Yeah, it's incredible. It's very cool. And like you know, there's only I think when you get to a scene like that, when you have yeah that battling the minds, like you only have so many options in your toolbox on the FX budget, which seems pretty good to to make this look as cool as possible and instead instead of making it just be like this insane like fight they just kind of were like we're just going to take a more stylistic approach mm-hmm. like let's just make it a music video mm-hmm. which is like not what i expected but when has the show ever given me that so i'm into it yeah it, it's very you know it, this show it, i don't want to say ahead of its time because that's kind of like a, a little bit of an exhaustive Kind it's of kind turn of a phrase, its yeah, yeah. But like you know, it's it's just it's. I don't think there's just anything like it. I no. don't. I don't think I've never seen a filmmaker or auteur be so smart to kind of give you the unexpected in quite a way like that final culmination. I agree. I'm not saying that this show should ever be copied or mimicked, but yeah, I God, feel like. Fucking- <laughs> I feel like Noah Hawley is giving you a rule book. Like, this is how you can do these things and still be creative and weird, but completely amazing. I mean, I can't really think of anything that really kind of tackles, like, that idea of, like, psychedelic Aldous Huxley. Besides, like, something like Doctor Strange, which is very, like, you know, visually has a lot of flair, but very narratively kind of tried and true and structured as an origin story. Right. Where, you know, something like Legion, like the narrative structure really matches the visual flair. And, you know, I think that's a kind of um, synergy you don't always get. Yes. You know, I think there's a lot of times things are stylized, but the narrative is not quite there to match. Mm-hmm. Or the narrative is very out there, but the visuals aren't quite there. And I, I, I know there are shows like you know, I really like Hannibal, and I think Hannibal sure. is does a really great example, especially in the later seasons of being like, it's an art house show now, bitch, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it, it matches the visual flares of the show. But uh, you know, Legion's just like on another level. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think things like Twin Peaks: The Return is mm-hmm. kind of just like in a different world entirely, not in a wrong or right way. It's just different. Who who knows what? <laughs> I mean, that's just a thing over yeah. there. Yeah. But I think very much so when it comes to telling a very interesting, intriguing story and having visuals to match, Legion is doing it right. American Gods is doing it wrong. Yes. That's definitely – it's a, that's said. a style over substance or – Yes. Your narrative is not quite going as – It's like the paces are matching up. Yeah. I think that happens a lot. I, th- I think – 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very that's a very good analogy. Where I think you know, I think something like Legion is just uh, it's perfect in that way. I mean, I just yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with Legion, man. Hardly, hardly and, anything. And that, that's a show that is so fucking off the rails, and I think it's perfect. Like agreed. Or as close as as touching the sun, as close to touching the sun as you can get. I really think Legion's there. Oh yeah, it's wild. Mm-hmm. And I've watched a lot of TV this year. Yeah. Very. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Legion's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Barry's very good. So, yeah, we have this opening scene, which also is paying such respect to Farouk's backstory and heritage. Mm-hmm. To have, like, David singing in English this very, like, popular tune. And then have Farouk sing it as well or speak it in what I believe is Arabic. Mm-hmm. And have no subtitles. How cool is that to be it's like, very cool. I'm not going to dumb it down for you. This is who he is. I mean, that's been his character the whole show, too. Like, yeah. he's not afraid to be bilingual and just kind of, you know, speak and, how he wants. Yeah. And the show lets him and it's like, well, this is who he is. speaking in your mind, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's trying to show, like, even his, like, his, fluid, his fluidity in language. It's like he could say a word in another. So we, we as the audience get a subtitle. Well... Every other time, yeah. uh, leading up until this battle, they don't mm. subtitle him during the battle scene. But I think, like, when he is talking to the character, they yes. just understand what he means. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. That's you know? very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that fight is insane. And then it just kind of culminates in David beating his fucking face in with a rock. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I guess there's more before that happens. Because there's the choke. Mm-hmm. Shooting the choke. Yes. Which is a device that only is introduced to us, like, very quickly as mm-hmm. to, like, what it does. I mean, like, it is what it is, and I'm fine with it. And it makes sense that, like, to, the way to – they actually kind of see it in episode six. Well, yeah. 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 Because the, the way they stop homeless David is using some kind of, like, sound vibration to distract him mm-hmm. so he can't think. So the idea of, like, this big tuning fork – which is used right for a song battle. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> I also love how in the episode where David does the distraction so Oliver and Lenny can get into Division 3 to steal right. a weapon. We don't know. Well, we actually At don't the time, know what the distraction is for. We think it's probably for the monk. And then a couple episodes later you see thing. the gun. Yeah. And that, again, later on, it's deception. You think they're looking for Farouk's body at that time, but they're really looking for Lenny's body at that yes. time. So there's a lot also of bait and switch. a very good twist. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that these, like, super powerful weapons aren't really revealed, like, truly revealed until, like, the last couple episodes. There's still a cabinet of, of other weapons. Too. Yeah, which, like, they look normal enough. I mean, like, that box did not look like a giant sniper rifle. No. <laughs> until she took the giant sniper rifle out of it. I'm still not really quite sure what it is. No. I honestly think that the box is more of the weapon and the sniper rifle is just in it. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you know, the sniper rifle, the gun is just a gun. Well, she, I also wonder if it doesn't matter who's wielding it, because it's like, is Lenny really that good of a shot? Yeah. Is I, Lenny I, Amy I was, I was thinking that, that well-skilled? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that, too, but I was just like, well, she's shooting a stationary object. Yeah. Uh, and then when she shoots, Until, the, and then she shoots mm, the bullet, that's kind of insane. Yeah. So it might be, like, the, the gun itself has a thing. But, like, you know, I was thinking the box as being the, the tool that's really useful because it's, like... Uh, it doesn't seem to matter what you put in it to it. It's like infinite space in a way. It's like the Mary Poppins bag. It's like the Mary Poppins bag. 
Because mm-hmm. she is also uh, from another world. <laughs> She's an alien. <laughs> right. I mean, what I, mean is, I don't know. I've never really seen that movie. Is she oh. Is she supposed to be from our... They don't say anything. Our, our normal human plane? Yeah, she's just crazy. I don't know. She's <laughs> <laughs> full of magic, that. I hate her. Julie <laughs> Andrews, I don't know. <laughs> Mary Poppins, Revenge of Mary Poppins. Yes. But yeah. So that battle scene. Yeah. Oof. Insane. I, I don't like spiders, and so the fact that Farouk yeah, is seems, a lot, there's a lot of spiders. There's a lot of spider stuff yeah. going on there, which was not fun for me. Sorry, <laughs> it's inevitable. Yeah, but yeah. So then we get into the scene directly after where Sid confronts David and gives a speech, and she tells him, "Who do you think ends the world?" And he has that slow realization yeah. over his face. I. It can't be me. It's Why not would it me. be me? Yeah. I mean, I had that kind of realization, like, with him in the way where I was just like, yo, the whole fucking season's been telling you it's him. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, you're trying not to believe it because you're just like, yeah, you want him to get revenge on the Shadow King. Like, yeah, he's the big bad. You got to take him down. And then you're just kind of like, it's it's really like a, a interesting take on violence, mm-hmm. I think, and like... You know, a lot of these shows, like a, like a show like Dexter, always culminates in a big bad. And so many of these shows, like you, I think you watch a little bit more TV than I do because that's kind of your like your beat that you're on. But like mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of shows that like there's a there's a head adversary or like a yes. organization or thing like this, and it, and they can only be kind of defeated via violence, you know. Yes. And in this show, like the big bad is not who you think he is. And, you know, the you as the audience are following David and his cone of perception is to, like, defeat the big bad it is Farouk. Very tried and true comic booky superhero way to understand things. And then you kind of realize, like, I'm just as insane as he is if I think that this is the right way to do this. Right. That's fucking cool. Yeah, they spend all of season two humanizing Farouk. Yeah. And you're like, oh, dang. All right. I Damn was, it. They did it. <laughs> I was so into just knowing he was just like a giant, weird, yellow creature. They make it weird. easier. And then, oh, he's a human. Yeah. And he's very charming. And he kind of thinks he's not doing anything wrong. The only reason he's leeching and on David is because, like, David's dad fucked him over in the first place. Murdered him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know? So who's really in the wrong? But then I love that line. That Melanie's kind of been seeding and Sid the entire season. Yeah. And he's like, well, if I'm not the hero, who is? Right. And she says, me. And I think that was such a cool yeah. way to do it for Sid to like truly take the reins on kind all of that of it. discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, I've been doing this the whole time. I've been doing all the hard work to keep all of this in check. And I'm finally now realizing that I can do it in this timeline, too. Yeah. I was just I helping you work. the whole time, but I wasn't helping myself. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of tying back into the the Amy, Lenny, kind of like what's feeling what, like, you know, they are the thing that stops David from getting killed, which is a very Amy move. You yes. know what I mean? Like, that, that's, a, that's the Amy guardian angel protector timeline. Like, even though Amy is without body and without soul it's a very amy action is is what's happening in that moment is 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 her defending david yeah and uh and then david does probably the darkest thing i've one of the darker things i've ever seen on tv that culminates in the second darkest thing i've ever seen on tv yeah 
So let's talk about that fun documentary uh, three years later where Oliver oh, and yeah. Melanie are in the ice cube. Because that's really like the only other thing we have to talk about other than the trial, I feel. Right. But yeah, isn't that so cute? I mean, I'm just I'm it's just sad, happy that Melanie like gets it. Well, you know, you can't even feel sad for them because like it's they're the happy. they're happy, and that's that's the thing about like that's that's the sad thing about Oliver when Melanie first sees him, or when David first runs into them in the ice cube in the astral plane in season one, where it's like, no, he's pretty happy. He has no concept of like what the temporal world is. But, like, that's why he's kind of happy because he's, like, disconnected from it, you know? So, like, uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's, like, really, like, well-versed in, like, philosophy and stuff. And we were talking about, like, death because I've been super anxious about death lately because I'm, like, hitting my 30s and I think that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but, Bodies uh, just fail. Yeah. Well, I yeah. hope mine doesn't. But, I mean, that's what I'm afraid of. But we were talking about, like, death and stuff. He's like, well, a lot of philosophers, like, saw like they they see death as just like well death is pretty cool because it's life without pain and i feel like that's kind of which i don't agree with because that sounds terrible but like yeah uh, but you know i think that kind of ties into what this like astral plane existence is where it's like it's not so much life without pain but it's like life without the you're not like plugged into reality so Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like well, words don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the absurdism of reality, where it's just like, oh, you're concerned about eating, breathing, people's feelings, all this other stuff. Like, I just exist. I'm just the embodiment of existence, who does is not even an embodiment of anything. I just yeah. kind of am. Yeah. And that's the idea of being, I think, in the astral plane, where it's just kind of like. Oh, yeah. Well, like, words don't fucking mean anything anymore. Because why do words... We give them meaning. We make Mm -hmm. them make sense. And, like, it's the absurdism of it all. And when you're you're in this, like, icebox, like, you're frozen in time, but you're without any of the problems, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think think that's really cool. Well, John Hamm, the wise, Mm. does that narration, I think, in, like, episode four of season two, where he does say that... Humanity is the only structured existence where you have to agree on a reality with, right. without going mad. Which is why we can go, go mad. mad is yeah, because we're the only animal that can do that. Because we have to affix to the reality that we're given mm. and agree on it. And yeah, outside of that, Mel- Melanie and Oliver are just like chilling out in this ice cube. Just having fun. Yeah. And Melanie even does say, she was like, yeah, I don't have any aches or pains. I don't have to worry about aging. Do with any of that. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to deal with that. I mean, even and the scene where they're, they're talking about the, um, there's the flash, I think it's in the Melanie focus episode where you're seeing young Melanie and yes. they're in the icebox and he's just like, oh, you should have just burned my body. If you burned my body, I would have been able to do way more shit. And she's just like, are you fucking kidding me? But then she kind of is in the same position by the end of the by the end of the, he the like show. He kind of like converts her, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we'll be seeing them in season three. I hope we see just like enough. But to, if not, then, know you know, happy. whatever. I mean, this is a pretty good like. Tie up. Yeah, yeah. For them, for those two. I think everyone else still has plenty more to do. Mm-hmm. We know uh, Potomac is coming back as a robo. Yeah. Which I'm, I mean, that makes sense. 
Yeah. That tracks. He's a vermilion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't say he is, but yeah. Essentially. Yeah, he can be. I mean, they're using that tech, I imagine, to bring him back with that sick mohawk. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the 80s it's now, the, and now, he's a punk. Yo, he's a cyberpunk, and fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's just like a fun little thing yeah. that we see. Mm-hmm. Very good little narrative to set up yes. what we need to see. Because mm-hmm. just like a, a Greek tragedy, they say at the beginning, they're like, well, why Why was it so sad for Sid? Oh, because she oh, was betrayed. betrayed. And then the whole time you're like, how, how did she get betrayed? And that's exactly what a Greek tragedy does. It tells you the tragedy up front right. and then shows you how yeah. you got there. No, that's very good. Yeah. So well done. So yeah, uh, the trial is pretty incredible, and it's so short. It's very short, which is also very cool. I mean, leading up but to leading it, leading up like, to it, yeah, leading up to it, like you know, maybe not even to dive too into it because it's the the one phrase that happens during the trial that kind of says it all. You know, we we learn that David erases part of Sid's memory, or or, or you know, hides part of her memory, so she doesn't realize that she doesn't think that David's the bad person anymore. Mm-hmm. And then she, while she's in a daze of confusion, he seduces her. Mm-hmm. While well, she tells him, I don't want you to be there. I need to sleep. Yeah. And, she, and he comes That's, in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he, he is, um, taking advantage of her. Uh, that's just the way it is. And, and then during the trial, you know, she, it's, it's crazy how like, poignantly it's just said where it's they're all like yo he's just like oh, what the fuck's going on you're accusing me of this you're accusing me of this and then and she, she doesn't comes up, she doesn't use the hot button word no but yeah but she says she's just like you drugged me and had sex with me mm-hmm. and that's just enough and like you know in the show that's like so insane and aloof and deals with so many cosmic ideas that are hard to grapple with that one's pretty concrete yeah. That's a fucking thing you don't do. That's exactly you what you did. you are a bad person, and that's just it, man. And I'm sorry. And, like, you know, I'm not really sure how the show is going to kind of wrestle with that. Right? You, you watch BoJack Horseman at all? I don't. BoJack Horseman season five kind of, like, it, 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 it culminates in, like, um, not that idea, but, like, something similar where it, it ends in a way where you're just like, yeah, I don't really like this character anymore because of this action that they did. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna give me going forward? And in Bojack, they're not presenting him as the villain. He's he like ends with going to like rehab or something. You know, David's not going to rehab at the end of this season. He's he's rejecting rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. He's been rejecting rehabilitation, and it's yeah. I don't know what I don't know what's in store for him going forward. You know, I felt very similarly. This is like a super deep cut. If anyone wants to at me because of this, that would be cool. But there's a book series by Robin Hobb, or mm-hmm. Hobb, and it's called The Live Ship Traders. And it's a trilogy. All of her books are pretty much trilogies. And you spend the entire first two books, like, starting to really care for a character. Yeah. And he was a villain when you first met him. And you're caring for him, and you're caring for him. And then in the third book, he does something, and you're just like... Fuck. Well, yeah, great. Like I, I hate you again. Yeah, this yeah. is how I feel now, and you can't really go back from this. Right. Very similar. And, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you picked up on this, but in episode six, where you're seeing all of the alternative Davids, 
a lot of them have a starting point and an ending point. Yeah. You see the temp, the office temp, become the billionaire. You see the milk worker become... The old man. Mm-hmm. Or the, the bald old man in the chair. Yeah. But one of the ones that you never see is that uh, David, who works for the IRS, who's like in that like office room with no windows, and he sees a mouse. Oh, right. And, and the whispers mouse is to him. like yeah. dancing and whispers. And then Farouk uses a mouse mm-hmm. to send the message to Sydney of like, this is what David did to you. Yeah. So I found that so interesting. And I'm like, well, I, I want to know more. <laughs> Why did you use like this well, weird. we're going to get it. Yeah. I-, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know how. That's very interesting. Cause yeah, we don't get the IRS David kind of uh, story arc. I don't think so. At all. I don't think so. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I just, I wanted to know more about the whole mouse thing or yeah. I just feel like everything is done with such a purpose. Yes. Yeah. And thought of care mm-hmm. that I found that a very interesting little David arc that we don't really get a full like conclusion. Right. To why it happened that way. Mm-hmm. Why we were shown that form. And then later on see Farouk use the same animal to carry a message. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really sure what the right way to interpret that is. And maybe there is no way yeah, but, to even yeah. interpret it at this moment. I mean, we'll see. You know, I'm curious to see if season three kind of like... Because season two like kind of exists not in a vacuum, but like it, it doesn't pull too much from season one. No. Like, you know, it like... It's kind of its own thing. It's kind of its own thing, exactly. Like, you know, it's like the setting's totally different. What they're doing is very much like, you know, the, the plot has propelled so much past, like, even what happened in season one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, season one set it up, but they're very different. So, I, you know, I wonder if season three will even try and go back and reference certain things besides, like, more broad stroke plot points like David's dad, things like that, you know? Right, right. Um, and yeah, I'm totally fine with it being just like a nice little Easter egg. Sure. And it was a fun catch. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe just illustrating how connected the worlds David can and Farouk be. are. Yeah, for sure. Even when they seem to have like no connection at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like a tool and Farouk's wheelhouse is to use the mouse or something like that. Yeah, I buy that either yeah. way. Yeah. But yeah, what Sydney says to David in that trial, mm-hmm. which kind of is a catalyst for David, like really going into his own mind and saying, like, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm deserving of love. And at that point, you're like, no, bud, you're not. You were. You were. You were. You made a fatal, fatal mistake. And it's something that happens like so quickly and so briefly, which I think is like what mistakes like that look like, you know? Like, they happen in a split second, and it's just like, yeah, you fucked up. I will say... canceled. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I will say the first time I watched that, it was heartbreaking. But the second time I watched it, knowing what was going to happen, even seeing David's face while he's laying on the floor next to her, Mm -hmm. it just looks so evil. Even, like, I think it's just because you know what's yeah. happening i mean like you know like but. i i think their love was very real and mm-hmm. then it, it it you know he much like potentially his father is a control freak and thinks that you know he's the only one that can kind of set things straight and ends up doing more harm than good with the amount of power that allotted to him mm-hmm. you know and i think that's kind of the way it is and it's just very sad and uh you know i'm, I'm disappointed to see 
I'm going to be sad to see, you know, a season where, where Sid and David are at, at odds, but I also very much understand. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the way that it is. You shouldn't have fucked up. Yeah. It's also following that level of self-prophecy that yeah. the second season sets up so well. The idea of fate. Because you have to wonder if Sydney wouldn't have told David that God loves the sinners the best. Because mm-hmm. David kind of took that to heart and was like, well, I get a pass. Right. I can make mistakes. Sydney will always love I me. I can just fix it. Yeah. I can just fix it. And he did too many bad things. Yeah. And that was undeniably the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess going forward in like season three, they introduce this idea of there are devices that can nullify David. Mm-hmm. So that's like a thing. Mm-hmm. Farouk is on Team Division Three and is one of the quote unquote good guys. We'll see how that shakes out. I think he, he's a sneaky dude. Yeah, I think he's very self serving. I yeah. think he'll. I, I I don't dislike him. To, I mean, the Amy thing was awful. It's fucked up. Very yeah. fucked up. But yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't love him. I don't hate him. I just think he's a very interesting character. He's very interesting. <laughs> he's he's one of my favorite characters on TV, like right now. Oh for yeah. sure. He's very cool. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I don't know what what shape he'll take going forward. I mean, all I can gather from that that trailer for season three is that it seems that David is gathering followers, starting maybe some kind of cult or or organization or something he seems very hippy dippy looking which also fits into the 70s aesthetic mm-hmm. psychedelic vibes of the show mm-hmm. um and it seems that people are trying to stop him you know yeah. but he seems like he's trying to find peace and i think that maybe one way for david to find peace is to maybe split his personalities into other people yeah and share the insanity so it's not just kind of on his shoulders yeah um but then there's also that fucking shot of him looking like the comic book cover with his hair straight up and holding the crystal ball with the future sitting there and pregnant uh, uh, Lenny. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a lot going on there. I love as well that Lenny is wearing like the Mad Hatter hat and she's like oh, swinging Oh, yeah, there's the that part too. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, all right, send me down the rabbit hole. Like, I'm ready. <sighs> It's my bad. All yeah. Right. Um, Send me on yeah, my we'll way. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be difficult watching it, to be honest, to know what's real or what's fake. But we'll find out. Maybe it's going to be a little bit more cut and dry than what I anticipate. But I'm I'm about ready to maybe be stumped and confused, but really enjoying the ride. Yeah. I mean, it being a final season, I feel like they got to have some things be a little more concrete and said. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, just, just judging by, like, the, the pieces of of what I picked up from this season, like, I, you know, I just I just feel like I got to kind of figure it out. Not figure it out, like, where the third season is going to go, but, like, the plot threads that they're giving in that trailer, like, they seem pretty grounded. Yes. For Legion. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. There ain't nothing more grounded than that. Like, that's an <laughs> X-Men fucking, that's a hard X-Men property that you're you're putting back into your show. Yeah. Uh, the idea of a commune culty situation that seems very prevalent there, introducing these new characters who seem to follow David, mm-hmm. which like, you know, if somebody turned this microphone into a broom, I'd probably think they were God too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Division Three 
going kind of back on the hunt that they were doing in season one, which is trying to stop him. Yeah. And I guess, like, you know, it kind of depends on what what is David, does David have a master plan of what he wants? I don't think he's just trying to live. I think he might be, I think, you know, to quiet the own voices in his head, he might be trying to assimilate the whole world. Maybe. And that's what Lee Jin is. I think his base desire, which we get into with a lot of characters in mm-hmm. season two, but not David. Right. I think his base desire is to be loved and feel like he's doing the right thing. But he's making it very difficult for himself. <clears throat> yeah, he's not he's really it easy. standing yeah. in his own way. Right. But yeah, I think the wise tells us in season two that humans are pattern-seeking humans. Pattern-seeking animals, yeah. And uh, I mean, I think Noah Hawley is playing with that. And I think season three is going to be more of the same of like... You're going to be trying to figure it out, and yeah. that's because that's what you want to do as a human. They fit so much in those 50-minute episodes. Like, they feel oh like they're goodness. three hours long. <laughs> like, each one, I'm just like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see, man. I mean, I'm assuming this is another 11-episode, 10-episode run, right? I'll take whatever they give me. Yeah, you can give me five, I'll still watch it. Mm-hmm. Give me one, I'm in. Yeah, I feel like whatever they do is going to be exactly the length it needed to be. Yeah. It's going to be perfect. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, June 24th, by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be right around the corner, which is going to be awesome. Thank you for going on this journey with us, whether it was Jack, Stamper, Robbie, and I, or just Robbie and I. Thank you for putting in all of the man hours listening to these, because I know they're long, but I think you get it. If you watch the show. There's a lot to talk about. Plus, you want to talk about it. Right? You want to infect others with it's like, legion. It's like therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, thank you, Robbie. Thank you, Bernadette. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And I look forward to getting back together and discussing some season three madness. The big finale. Yeah, definitely. Well, make sure to check out StoryScreenBeacon.com for all podcasts, articles, reviews, what have you. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We post pretty frequently now we're pretty good at it pretty decent (laughs) we're learning how to be better trying (laughs) it's a lot of work to do it's a very small operation in case you guys haven't figured out Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah thank you and we'll catch you next time buy a fucking (laughs) t-shirt bye hate the pop-ups on imdb it's like why what well, they want you to pay for the pro version i guess but it's like i'm not gonna do that i'm not i'm no i'm not in the industry yet right right okay does this sound pretty good to you can you hear me i can hear you i can hear me pretty good okay maybe maybe you lean in a little bit more and then i think you'd be solid how's about this i think it's good do you hear you pretty good yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean levels look pretty good cool cool good deal let's start with a good Energy, and then I think we're good. (laughs) Yes. Energy. Energy. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah. (laughs) Not the whole time. That's. ah. (laughs) All right. Cool.